and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm your host Richard Hutchinson and you're listening to episode 69, R5, Dean's 4. Joining us tonight as ever because his crappy football team has been knocked out of every cup, it's my fellow podcast host Peter Davis. Good evening Pete. Oh, incredible Richard. We are still in the best of the crappy cups which is the Birmingham Senior Cup tomorrow night though so I escaped this. The Birmingham Senior Cup sounds exciting. Oi, 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 oi. Fourth oldest cup competition in the world. There we go. That is something to shout about. And just like the second coming, except he's not going to have any impact whatsoever, it's our porridge muncher gone south. Welcome back again, Jason Smith. Good morning, man of man. How are you doing, everyone? You've been missing a few episodes, so it's nice to have you back. Back and ready to go now in 2020. Jason, why good morning, man of man, man of man? Why him? Why are you wishing him good morning? Well, I, it's important. I, you know, pre- previous kind of uh, hosts about kind of catchphrase, and uh, that one's a homage to uh, Robin Williams and "Good Morning Vietnam." So, uh, well, well, exactly. But I mean, you know, why a man a man? He, he seemed a miserable kind of guy with his well, skills on his post. A man a man. It kind of rhymes. I know, but I don't. He'd be saying "Good morning" back to you. He'd be trying to take your head off. Very possibly. I'll have to contemplate yeah. that and think if I can come up with an even better catchphrase for my oh, there we go. And finally, we have Andy, not Spoons, or is it Andy is Spoons? Whatever, it's an Andy, and that's all we need to know for now. Good evening to you, Andy. Hello, everybody. Lovely to be back. So which Andy is it? Because we're not sure ourselves. Yeah, I can just be Andy today. It's nice and easy, as other Andy would just be answering for me anyway. Feel free to... So cut me off at any time you want. Homogenous, Andy. Right, and Andy, I'm really pleased that your your connection's really good tonight, so hopefully we're going to have minimal editing problems. I, I try to be helpful when I can, Rich. <laughs> right, so before we go into our main chat, um, I think we'll just jump into our latest purchases first. So, Pete, I think we're going to go home to you first, because you've been super excited about something, and you've got something to say. So let's head over to Pete and tell us about your latest acquisition. <laughs> super excited? Me? Well, first off, first off, got to thank Rob Thompson for sending me some FKS stickers for my Empire Strikes Back album. I have been sticking them in. Sadly, they didn't stick in. <laughs> Sadly, after I peeled them off, I had to use a bit of uh, bit of vintage glue, which I found lying around in my cupboards. And it was genuinely vintage glue. But there we go. It's very sticky. Um, so, Rob, I really appreciate that. I've only got, I think, nine now to get, and I've done it. So, woohoo! Um, I've also, I have technically completed my car back collection, technically. I say technically because I've got my EV99 car back. I've got that in hand. I've got it in hand. And sadly, sadly, the dog did not alert me quick enough to get my RTD2 car back, which is now in the post office. I would have got it if the dog hadn't been slow. I have my brother's dog with me at the moment. 
And uh, she's very good at barking when the postman comes near. But she barked a little bit too late today, and I didn't catch him. So I've got to go pick that up tomorrow. So sadly, sadly, I would have had it. But I can I can re-celebrate next month. Technically, I, it's it's in Leamington. It's just not in my hands. That's it, really. So uh, wow. um, almost a collection finished, and almost another collection finished in the same afternoon. Well, I was going to strike that one off you, Pete, because I haven't got one that's arrived yet, but mine's in Mexico. So I think mine's fair enough, but uh, yeah, I'll let you have that one, cause considering it's nearly there. But I'm going to surprise you now, guys. I haven't bought a single thing. Not Actually, no, that's not true. I have bought something, but it's in Mexico. So I've got nothing at all to show off this month. And I'm really pleased with myself, because I, I've got to start saving for Anaheim. And I'm, I, I can get really bad at that. So I'm saving for Anaheim. No purchase this, this month at all for me. Right, Jason, you've been off for two months, so I've got a feeling that you would have been chasing down lots of things, so go on then, take it away. Richard, before he starts, before he starts, I think we should make him do this really quickly. Oh yeah. Because it's a big long list, we've seen the list. I have purchased a plane ticket to Celebration Anaheim. I'm all sorted, it's in August, it's going to be awesome. That's my first purchase, um, and then moving on from that, I have got a, I mean, it's almost a full page here, I'm going to rattle through it, um, found some tri-local card backs with a really cool red reduced price Woolworth sticker, which was kind of really kind of retro and uh, kind of similar in a similar kind of ilk to the ones that we saw for WH Smith and Menzies, so I'm uh, really glad that the finding those Woolworth stickers and, and uh, several other people um, have them as well, so that's really cool. And then, obviously, a couple of uh, podcasts ago, um, we had Craig Spivey on. We were talking all about um, transfers, Star Wars transfers. So I, I, I may have got a few transfers. Uh, first up, um, Stefan Farcourt was over doing a deal with Gary Smith to do with one of his uh, tri logo mocks, and uh, Gary sold me the complete set of next ten smaller rub-on transfer sheets all used so i got all 10 in one go so that was fantastic um i got the daily lead bumper transfer pack which is the big one that folds out that you can send away for i've got adverts for helix and clearo adverts from star wars weekly the little bagged wimpy transfer sheet um then farthest from so various purchases at farthest from i got uh, one of the man who shot skywalker books that we all talked about um vintage rebellion fanzine and poster and uh pete all i've got to say that poster is absolutely awesome and the vintage rebellion fanzine is as good as ever i think there's still spares of some of those left if people want to get them then from Stu, i got uh the transfer sheets that went with those um transfers that i got from gary smith so i've got i've got i got five of those and then Andy Preston, one of the Andes, sold me all his spare uh, Shreddy and Dairy Lee transfers. So I've got two Shreddies and three Dairy Lee transfers. I've got another Dairy Lee advert. Then I got um, there's the Return of the Jedi larger Ewok Village transfer set of transfers. I got those at farthest from. Uh, then when I got back, I got the rest of the Dairy Lee transfer sheets for the set of four. The last two Shreddies I needed for the transfer sheets for a set of four. Shreddy's advert, um, one more of the unused transfer sheets from that set of 10. So I've got six, but apparently four of them are incredibly hard to get. So the four that I need is the four that everyone needs. I'm very unlikely to get any more of those. Uh, I've got the Return of the Jedi large Sarlacc pit transfer set. So I've got 
the two smaller ones and the two larger ones now uh, up on the wall. That's very nice. Uh, for Secret Santa with SWF UK, I got a Boba Fett and Dengar adverts. I'm going to have a little display of adverts going on somewhere uh, in one of my display cases, which is going to look nice. And also from Secret Santa, I got three of the HCF small notebooks and uh, a different colored oval pencil sharpener than the one that I got last year. Then this year, I've had a couple of things. Uh, Palatoy 1980 General Sales Division catalog. Now, the retail version of this has no Star Wars in it at all because it's all in uh, the Chad Valley catalog. So I thought neither of the catalogs would have any Star Wars in it. But apparently the 1980 one does have um it has a an r2d2 in it and um also the escape from death death star board game in it so i've got that catalog and because i've got that catalog i'm now looking for the retail one as well and also the 1984 one building on success catalog if anybody's got one of those uh, a couple of card backs i got a palatoy 12c death squad commander card back for my 12c run still need an r2d2 and a vader if anybody's selling those and then i'm also trying to do a 70c run of palatoy that's the thinner card back with a slightly different uh, positioning of the text at the bottom of the bubble. I got a 70C layer Bestman card back, so I need about five of those left. My last purchase came in yesterday, and this is the Return of the Jedi Panini sticker album, but it's in a sealed 2000 AD baggie, and they're rare as hen's teeth. They, they come up all the time, but basically you've got the album, and someone's opened the sticker pack and stuck the five stickers into the album and put it back in. And I've got one of those, but this one is sealed. It's got the original, it's got the the unopened uh, packet. And those are really, really rare because all the ones that you see are, are Tops branded and this one isn't. So um, I'm very pleased to have got that. And that is everything I've got since the last time I was on. Thank you and good night. And finally, Andy, who is Spoons, just in case any of your listeners are confused, um, unless Andy Preston's going to dial in and jump in here. Um, anything you picked up since you, you were last on last month? Well, I'd like to say there was, but Jason seems to have bought up the entire uh, supplies of all vintage Star Wars memorabilia, so there's nothing left for me. It's been it's been quiet, I must say. Uh, it doesn't help with me being on two months in a row. Don't don't tend to buy it a lot, but I have added a few of these coin purses to my collection. Now, I didn't know a lot, know a lot about the coin purses. Got a few from Secret Santa, as I mentioned last time. And Richard Temple um, over on Facebook seems to have a, an ever-increasing supply of these things unused uh, to a lot. Of, some, of the, some of the ones I bought recently that used. So I thought I would add more to my collection, try and try and finish that run off. I didn't know much about these, uh, so I did a quick internet search, and the only thing out there seems to be an article written by yourself, Rich, uh, on Fanta Tracks your 3,000th post, which I found quite interesting. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there really doesn't seem to be any other information out there. There's uh, touchline money bags called smile money bags because of the, the line down the middle of them. In fact, I hadn't realised, but I've got a green smarty one from the 90s, which seems to be identical. So I don't know if where somebody else picked up the moulds for these. I need to double check see if there's any uh, manufacturing on there. But touchline went bust not long after they started making these, supposedly because Lucasfilm withdrew the license. I don't know if you want to add what you know about those, but they're mostly loose, a few carded, but they seem to be quite rare carded. Yeah, it's still up for debate, a lot of that. Some people have said that um, they fell out with Lucasfilm 
limited about the touchline um, designs or there was something something not right. These were these were I think a huge warehouse find of ones that were never destroyed. I think that's what where Rich has sourced them from. But yeah, you're absolutely right. There's very very little information on them. And if I ask somebody like Rich something, he will tell me what his suppliers told him. And then if you go and ask Craig Stevens, he will tell you what he's researched for his Star Wars Phenomenon in Britain group in their uh, book. And then you speak to David Train, he'll have a slightly different version again. So, yeah, I basically I pulled the best I could together to make something that sounded plausible. <laughs> right then, guys, so show and tell. What piece in your collection is your pride and joy, which you wouldn't part with for any money? And it's fundamental to your collecting enjoyment. Or can we possibly tempt you to sell? And if so, how much? So, Jason, what item from your collection hits that description? Well, the thing I've selected um, is basically it was uh, an open bubble uh, Palatoy vinyl cake Jawa that I purchased probably about a year or two years after I started collecting. So it would have been in about 2007. And this was at a time when the majority of the collecting community were, were basically saying that it did not exist as as a uh, as a as a card, and that anyone who had one of these things was basically trying to pull a swindle and say that it was a uh, it was it was a vinyl cape Jawa bubble, but it actually had a cloth cape in it. And I saw various examples of this, and I was just like. You know what? If there was just one of these that came up, uh, I, I could maybe get on board with that story. But there were several that came up, opened examples. And there was even one that was uh, tattered around on Rebel Skull, which was obviously a, a, a mock. And it just had the, the picture had been annotated. It said, say no to repro on it. And I looked at this thing and it was like, well, that looks good to me. I, I can't see what the problem was. And it was actually that particular card that was actually sent off to AFA and was graded. Which, which kind of stopped the deniers at that point. So so for me, it was me kind of starting out in the hobby, you know, learning a little bit and then kind of going, well, actually, I'm, go I'm, I'm challenging what a lot of other people who've been in the hobby a lot longer than me are saying about this piece because I think they're wrong. And it turned out I was right. So it was kind of quite a big thing for me, kind of um, being bold, buying, buying the opened example and... Um, and making that kind of stance. And the other thing was, it was uh, in terms of the, the piece itself, it had the, the bubble had been sellotaped back onto the card. It was all wonky. There was tears in the card. And it was probably the most difficult cleanup job that I've done. So I peeled all the tape off it. Um, I, I can reposition the bubble. I had to get a donor um, card back to kind of cut out the missing bits of tech, te of teared card onto the original card. And then sealed it all back up so it looks really nice it's probably one of the best restoration jobs i've done as, done as well um everything has a price it cost me 500 pounds back in the day you know with the price of uh, a mint on card vinyl cake jawal being what 15 20k now it, it's, it's probably worth several thousand as a, a reseal I, I don't like to think there's any piece in my collection i would particularly say i would never part with everything's got everything's got a monetary value at the end of the day but um for me, that's why it's a special piece. Awesome. That sounds absolutely great. That Well done, Jason. Right. I'm going to move on to me next because I'm at the different end of the spectrum of this one. So I looked at my collection and I thought, look, at the end of the day, I don't want to have anything there that somebody couldn't prize away from me. 
However, a lot of my collection I have managed to get through uh, private deals and you know some I've had some really good bargains. So what I would certainly do is I would offer those back to the people who sold them to me first as a gesture of goodwill. What I'm going to do is I'm, I've picked something up that's in my collection that I can honestly say that money can't buy. This is the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club Cadet Trooper. And it was a gift that, that was given out at the annual that I did at New York. Now the reason I have chosen this was because I had an absolutely amazing time at the annual. Absolutely brilliant. And what they did was they'd done a, a little gift in a, a really nice box. And inside the box is a bit of red tissue paper. And there was a little statue inside. And I'm just going to read the information from the inside of the box. And it says here, the Cadet Trooper was chosen at the annual's primary giveaway due to the event's proximity to the United States Military Academy located at West Point, New York. Founded in 1802 in the direction of then-President Thomas Jefferson, West Point trains and commissions officers for the United States Army. The Cadet Trooper is depicted wearing the grey overwhite parade uniform of the West Point Cadet, consisting of a grey coat over white trousers. The crimson sash around the figure's waist is an indicator of first class, i.e. senior status. So, it's a little cadet trooper, but it has a stormtrooper helmet on the top. So it ticks the Star Wars box, it ticks the amazing experience that I had at the annual, and it also ticks my thanks to the many people who protect us on a daily basis, um, including Jez and, and many other listeners to the show who are serving overseas and I did have a bit of a military background myself at one time so I'm always going to be grateful for that so that's my item and I couldn't let it go at all and to the best of my knowledge I've never seen one for sale anyway right Pete okay over to you then so what would you not part with well uh, when you say not part with if someone came in and said oh here's you know 200,000 pounds for your 12 inch Luke Skywalker I probably would part with it because I'd just go buy another one because they were everywhere, and there's millions of them. And that, that is that is my earliest item that I had, was a 12-inch Luke Skywalker, and I've still got it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if it came to lo- huge amounts of cash, I mean, it is Star Wars items. And apart from the personal stuff, or the, you know, uh, I remember when uh, Lawrence Dyer had to say thank you to do the podcast, he got a nice slave layer action figure drawing done for us. Some of that I probably wouldn't sell. You know, th- things of that kind of ilk that people have kind of given and stuff but as it comes to collectibles you know things that i've bought you know they'll I mean any, you could prize them in my hands with some cash cash is good a bit laissez-faire about this kind of thing you know it is it is you know what we produce stuff and yes it does have meaning but i guess it's got to be the the real personal stuff. but even then sim said here here's a million pounds rich for your for your thing are you definitely gonna say no million pounds well, no, because if for a million pounds, I could sell it and buy one from somebody else for a thousand. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, when it comes to cash, you're thinking, oh, you know, I, mean, I remember you said this conversation in office with with office fellow office workers, but it it, it wasn't wasn't on a Star Wars motion. It was other other fairly bad things, <laughs> naughty things, and uh, it was always a million pounds was usually the, the, the <laughs> it was usually the the go to amount. Yeah, a million pounds. I, yeah, I, 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 I'd probably do that. Yeah, a million pounds. Yeah, I'd do that. Could always be hypnotised to forget about it. That's a really difficult question, and I think what you guys have discussed about the value of things and things being replaceable comes into it a lot. So I think most of my collection is fairly replaceable. You know, money aside, some's more expensive than others. But if I want, if I wanted to sell it, I could go out and buy it again. It might cost me more to buy it again, but I could buy it again. Well, what what is special? 
what sums up my collecting journey. That's what I, I wanted to, to go for. So I chose a Return of the Jedi two-pack with Han Solo in Hoth outfit and Darth Vader. And I've just had a, a quick look, actually. When, I wondered when I bought that. I bought that about this time of year in 2008. So I've had it almost exactly 12 years. And so it's about two years into me starting to collect Han Hoth. Probably the first, the first non recognizable to me carded figure so we from the uk we didn't have these two packs here i wasn't really aware of them um actually to, to the light ed jedi ed had uh, sold me a squid head one a little bit earlier but they were they were relatively new to me and so it was something a little bit different and i really like the fact that it's got darth vader in so if as you know rich if you're and, and you jason as well with your two one b's as a as a focus collector collection can look quite samey so adding a little bit of different color in there or different characters is a good thing to do so having darth vader in my han solo collection was uh, is nice i think there's a really good combination of characters it's movie accurate which is quite difficult to find on a on a two-pack so kind of thinking of value on this i looked at what i paid for it and it saddens me what we used to be able to get to the uh, to the dollar it cost me 250 dollars from final frontier uh, toys back in the day american uh, store which was at the time was about 150 pounds would that be today over 200 wouldn't it and i don't know what its value is today two packs are an odd thing it's totally dependent on desirability who wants it but because it's it's one of my favorite items i own um it's sort of from the beginning of my carded collection collecting journey um, I think essentially the only thing would prize it away is if someone offered a silly amount of money. So if someone, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as a million pounds, but if someone wanted to pay off my mortgage. It's the kind of thing that if I did sell, I would struggle to find another one. I think there is a, another example out there, but I'm only aware of one other. And I suspect the other one's owned by someone who would probably be a lot more than my mortgage to prize it prize it out of their hands so it'll be a difficult one to replace. So that's that's my special item, but it was a it was a very difficult choice. Let's say let's say money didn't exist and you had to and someone to prize something out of your collection. I mean, I'm trying to think what would I part with if, if I if I couldn't get money, what would I get? What would you be, what would you take for it? A bit of trade, so it'd be something yeah. equally desirable, something you you fantasise about, not Star Wars. Well, that's easy. Yeah. That is for me. I collect loads of things. There's some um, sort of prototype Action Man stuff. Oh. That would be interesting. It's it's quite interesting prototype action man stuff because the compare it to value to Star Wars stuff, it's a fraction of the price. But there is there's a little bit out there. There was um, you might remember it on Vectis auction two or three years ago maybe. There was a bunch of Action Force first shots which went for some decent money. But there was also this mock up motorbike that had been uh, created as an idea to to make a new toy, but never happened that way i can't remember what it went for maybe a thousand pounds and all that but for an action man prototype that's a lot of money it really is they're normally a, a, a much less than that so something very interesting in the action man line might do it rich you're hardcore star wars so i want to know what what would prize prize out your hands if it wasn't money and it's not star wars as well as the toy lines i've got uh, i've got quite a lot of Masters universe now i've probably got about i don't know 40 50 figures of Masters universe but the again, like what Andy said, there they are they are throwaway two penny things. Uh, I think if for me it would be Nickerbocker, Lord of the Wings. Those um, 
I, I, I love the Lord of the Rings. I, I still debate whether I, I like it more than Star Wars quite often. Um, I definitely prefer the literature side and the world building of the Lord of the Rings, but equally Star Wars is a great story and a great tale. Um, so I love both of them very, very much. But uh, yeah, Knickerbocker Lord of the Rings, love them. I think I've only I've got two loose figures and I'm starting to build them up slowly. But they're so <laughs> expensive and so rare. Well, you chase. You can start with the back garden and the decking, which is completely rotted through. You can sort that out. I got I got a quote for that. The guy wanted about five or six grand. So start there. Brand new three piece suite, obviously. Ten uh, k telly. Play the game, Jason. We don't want to know about your house renovations. We want to know what ridiculously throwaway item you would desire. Come on. Three or four week holiday to Fiji. I've always wanted to do no, that as well. We don't want to hear about these things. We want to hear about some ridiculous collectible item. Come on. That I would want. Um, yes. It would be nice not, to have. It would be nice to be. I mean, I I do I do cosplay, and it would be nice to have an original prop from Back to the Future, one of Biff's oh. props, because I I do cosplay um, Biff Tannen, and I'm quite well known for it. So, you know, if you know, if I if I if I had Biff Tannen's original cane, that would just be an awesome collectible. Sorry, sorry there, Pete. That's a fantastic oh. point, Jason. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, imagine um, like having one of the original models from Blade Runner or something like that. If it's not, if it has to be a non-Star Wars thing, or even an, an original movie screen-used or TV-used Starship Enterprise. So that's a whole world of things. Oh, I was feeling very unadventurous before. <laughs> exactly. Now you're thinking. <laughs> I, w- I would have uh, my entire house decked out in original H.R. Geiger artwork if they wanted to prize it away from me. I w- I'd go and ravage his museum full of his artwork and have it in my... Or, or just I'd just go and live in his museum for life. I mean, I'd just go live there in wherever it is, in Switzerland somewhere. Right, well, cheers for that, Pete, for extending that conversation by 25 <laughs> minutes. Right, and so, obviously, we've all been scouring Facebooks, uh, Stars Form UK, Rebel Scum, Tantive, various other places... And I've asked each of you to come up with something that uh, you'd like to have a, a chat about. So, Peter, we're coming over to you first. Um, so, I have never heard of this group. You are the only kind of person that I know who would join a group like this. So, I'm just going to leave it there. You take it away. What have you found? It's a group which I hadn't heard of until until they came up. So, I had to join it. I think if my mom joined it as well, she saw that I joined it. Because that's the sort of thing our family does. The group is called Weird Secondhand Finds That Just Need To Be Shared. A real catchy title you can repeat to your friends. And it just appeared in one of the groups. I can't remember exactly where it appeared, but it just popped up. And everyone just fell in love with these items straight away. It was posted by someone called Abigail Toon. It was basically a Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. And they were, I think, I think they're about 13 inches tall, maybe a little bit taller. And they're beautifully handcrafted dolls, effectively. All the clothes have been handcrafted. Um, the entire doll has been made out of wood. Luke Skywalker's hair is made out from string. I think Princess Leia's might be as well. It's just the detail, and it's just the expressions on Luke and Leia. So it's Luke in his farm boy costume, and Princess Leia in a traditional white costume. I don't think they're vintage, like I said. But um, as soon as these went online, and um, they, they've been sitting in this in this toy shop, well, in this, I don't think it's really a toy shop, I think it's more of a... Uh, I'm going to be kind. <laughs> a junk shop called Joey's Thrift Mall. And that's in Columbus, I think it's Georgia, I believe that is. 
And they've been sitting there for years and years. And uh, this lady's been going in and look at these things. And finally, she kind of like put it on, put it online. And uh, they've been up for sale for $37. I don't know why they have to be $37, but that's what they were. And as soon as they put online, the the Thrift Mall place had many, many phone calls and they have actually sold. But um, it's the expressions and the comments on this, this wonderful thread. Samantha Spackman. They just figured out their siblings and then remember that they kissed. They remind me a little bit of uh, the original Wurzel Gummidge. Looks like it could be one of uh, John Pertwee's other heads, Luke Skywalker, certainly. Maybe maybe Aunt Sally as Princess Leia. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some, someone mentioned that uh, it looks like um, one lost the aunt and uncle who raised him and the other watched her entire planet be blown up. That's the expressions <laughs> on those faces. Here's another comment. They foresaw the sequel trilogy, it seems. Harsh. That's harsh. Uh, someone also mentioned that they totally nailed Carrie Fisher's I don't really give a damn eyes. Uh, the look after watching Phantom Menace. Very harsh. Very harsh. Any of you guys would actually consider having this in your collection at all? Just out nope. of interest? Nope. Definitely not. Really? I would. I like them. Good man. And I don't know what Good it is man. about them. And are the... It's Princess Leia's dress. Has that been made or has that just been taken off the Kenner? If you look carefully, it is—it's all been handmade. The whole thing has been handmade. But from all accounts, they're a little bit bigger than 12 inch. I don't know if you can quite make it out, but I believe the belt is made out of kind of like little little jewelry things all pinned together. Okay. I mean, they're all from, from what, what I can tell. That it's all been handmade and it's all beautifully handmade as well. Well, if I saw so, them in a junk shop, I would buy them. Would you pay $37 for each one, though? What's that? That's 25 quid? 25 quid no, quid no. <laughs> maybe, you? maybe one of them for about 20. No, I suppose you couldn't separate them, could you? Could yeah, I, yeah, I think I would. 40 quid, 50 a push, yeah. Go for that. I bet Jason wouldn't. They've got very, very, uh, very, very strange uh, expressions on the faces, certainly. Well, Pussyfair is a little bit piggy-nosed. It's just the detail, the painted eyes. These have been carved out of wood, the the, the faces and the, the bodies and stuff. So The chins are really impressive. Uh, Luke's got a cleft chin, isn't he? Is that a line down the yes. middle? And, and Leia's got sort of like a sort of slightly jutting chin there. It's, it's some good yes. skills. Some beautiful skills. I mean, they, those are something which are they're a piece of art in my book. Absolute piece of art. And, uh, and a lot of people did say that they looked a bit like uh, World America or Team Police World America, or what it's called, World Team Police America, the uh, the spoof film. But yeah, I just... That, that's the one. I know there was a combination in there somewhere I'd missed. But I, I just you know, I just think things like that just need to be celebrated. I mean, I mean, I, I've saved those pictures posterity. I would love, I would have actually loved to bought, bought those. I did actually contact the the uh, the person at the post and said, do you know if they've been sold? And they should update. They say, yeah, they've been sold. I said, oh, gutting. I would have had them if I'd had half the chance. I would have even paid thirty seven dollars for each of them. I think they're amazing, absolutely amazing. But anyway, that's me done. I just think they're worth mentioning and should never be forgotten. Right, well, I'm going to move on to mine now, um, because I was scrolling through Stars Home UK, and I was looking for something interesting, and this popped up. So, this is an item from Cardback Kid, and Cardback Kid has posted, Not technically new, but my only two remaining figures from my childhood collection in a frame. And he has a loose look farm boy with no saver whatsoever, with a very, very yellow torso. You can tell that's been heavily played. And you've got a 2-1-B with no hose, no loose weapon at all. And he's put in a frame from Ikea. And further down, uh, somebody's identified it as a river frame. 
And I think they look brilliant. They look absolutely brilliant. I've seen figures before in frames. I've seen people put it's first at 12 in a frame. You know, those 3D shadow kind of, of frames. Uh, but this is brilliant because it's his, loose, it's his only figures from childhood. And I think that's a, a great way to display figures. Uh, love it. So, nice to see that callback, kid. And thanks for something completely different. What other characters do you need? You've got Luke and his faithful sidekick, T1B. Because they, T1B and Luke featured in all... All three films, for most of the films, actually. In, in the cut I've seen, anyway. <laughs> I've got to see what cut you've seen them. And, Jason, because you just typed in there, we might as well jump on you now, so what are you bringing up? Um, I bought up an item also on SWFUK uh, latest acquisitions on page 2408, and it's a Return of the Jedi toy poster from a user called Kayatki. And uh, this kind of reminded me of the the John Menzies poster that we had on towards the tail of last year. It, it's an absolutely massive poster. It's double-sided. The front of it has got uh, the Star Wars Return of the Jedi logo at the top. And then it's got the Millennium Falcon and Snowspeeder uh, flying in space. And underneath that, there's the ATST Walker, Atat Walker, and a bunch of figures. And then on the back... Again, the Star Wars Return of the Jedi logo is in the middle of the poster and it's surrounded by various uh, play sets and uh, action vehicles and stuff that all came out from uh, Return of the Jedi. And uh, again, the buyer says, it's a lot bigger than expected. I'm going to need a bigger wall. And he's, apparently it's a German exclusive because all the text is in German. So uh, the, the Germans seem to have uh, cornered the market on um, huge, massive posters on this one. And... That's a mighty, mighty fine poster uh, he's got there, is what I'm saying. It's interesting as well, Jason. The competition flyer I picked up last month, mentioned in the latest acquisitions, is the same image on the front. I wasn't sure the um, the Millennium Falcon on the front is really yellowed, and I wasn't sure whether it was the original image or the just the age of the flyer catalogue thing i've got um but it's interesting to see that on kiakis the, the the ships are really yellowed on that as well it's the print they don't actually look that enticing do they? if you're a kid <laughs> a german kid at the time they were just preparing preparing you for the future when all of your uh, white <laughs> spaceships are actually <laughs> yeah. going to turn yellow they were just get it in early they're going to turn yellow it's nice to see kiaki pop up because we haven't seen him for quite a while he was at father's form a couple of years ago now um, Kieran Atkinson, so it's certainly nice for him to come back on the form. So Andy, uh, last one over to you, what have you brought up to discuss? Well, the thing I found was on Best Bin Prime uh, by a fellow called Matt Solomon, and it's X-Wing Aces, and I think it has been mentioned on the podcast before. It's something that I wasn't particularly aware of, um, but looked really good. So Matt basically went to... Um, I think a flea market where he says an old man was selling um, a bunch of stuff and it was from an old storage building where the roof had fell in and everything was disgustingly dirty. He also got um, a 12 inch Ben and had to, had to give him a bath to get him uh, to get him nice and clean. But the thing I wanted to talk about, and there's some great stuff in there, is the destroy the death star game as well. The, the U S version, but it's this X wing aces game. And I, I hadn't appreciated, I think I was aware of it, I hadn't appreciated how big it is. So you've got the, the Ben in the image for scale. It's got to be three foot long, foot and a half wide. And what it is, it's a, it's a repurposed uh, old 
World War One fighter game. So the original one, you'd I think you're shooting the Red Baron or someone, certainly a biplane, and it has this kind of Tommy gun on a, on a stand, um, making a sort of ack noise. And then it's, it's actually one of the, the, I can't think of another Star Wars toy that's plug in. It's actually, a, it's got a plug with it rather than batteries. So you plug it in and then there's um, a lit up uh, on the original one, um, biplane flying around. But on the Star Wars one, X-Wings Aces is a, a lit up TIE fighter and your gun has a, a light beam on it. And when you when the light beam hits the TIE fighter, you get a point. I watched a YouTube video of it, and it looked, looked great fun. I mean, if I had this as a kid, I would have been on it all all day long. But people say it does get a bit repetitive, but it, it does does look great fun. So the so the main difference is between the the original version, which if I comes where's it come to me the uh, the name of which was Aerial Aces. So that was released in 1976 and was red. This one's a sort of an off white grey colour. Uh, Star Wars release, and I and I look at these to see what kind of value are because they, they're pretty rare. Um, and there's and again there's a bit like these uh, the small purses earlier, which is very little information on them. I had a look on the uh, SWCA. There's they've got a bit of information on a on a um, a sign off version, but very little about what it is. I found an old thread on Rebel Scum where people were actually looking for one and were wondering what to pay. Uh, and so back in 2006, a loose one of these would have set you back $250, whilst a sealed one would have been $2,000. Yeah, some awesome stuff there, guys. So um, great, and it was really good seeing a lot of stuff over on all the places recently. People have bought a lot of items since Christmas. Really, really nice to see. And thank you for everybody who's shown something online. Um, it's it's great sometimes when you're having a bit of a hard day from work and you log in and just have a look at all the wonderful purchases. Right then, guys, without waffling on much more of that, let's get on to the quiz. It's, it might be a little bit tricky, this, okay, so I'm going to try and do my best. I'm juggling lots of things at the same time. So, I've written here, it's a complete myth that men don't read the instructions when assembling items. So tonight, I have some instructions, and I'm going to read them. It's just a shame that I've got no men. And all you have to do is you've got to describe what it is I'm assembling. It couldn't be any simpler. You're going to get two each. And you will get a timer, and the timer will stop when you tell me the name of the item that I am assembling. The lowest timed overall response will be the winner. Okay? So we're not going to go on forever. We'll just keep going until I run out of my clues or I get bored. I'm going to look at your screen, and I'm just going to go in order that you appear on my screen here. So the first person is Jason, then it's Pete, and then it's Andy. Okay? So Jason, Pete, and Andy. So Jason, do you want instructions for ships? Do you want instructions for vehicles? Or do you want instructions for playsets? Oh, let's start with ships. Ships. Okay, so just to clarify ships, this will be something that goes in space. Okay, so I'm not going to include one of the flying mini rigs as a, as a ship because they probably, you know, just go to the edge of the atmosphere or whatever. Okay, it's got to be something that goes off over in space. Okay, so I'm going to read these instructions out. If the instructions mentions the name of the vehicle, I'm just going to replace it with an X. Okay, so your timer starts now. So, assembly instructions. Reassembly. Replace crew chamber. Star destroyer. Fit top of X to base by aligning the ribs and notches at the rear of the vehicle. Snap tabs at the front over its ribs. Lock parts together by inserting handle through the tray and base. 
Push down slightly, turning the handle one quarter turn. Install cockpit canopy and gun turrets. Covers by placing, place by placing over openings and pressing under tabs. If escape hatch door comes off, simply snap it back into place as shown. Stand two figures on the pegs in the crew chamber. Two figures will sit in the cockpit. One figure will sit in the gun turret. There's even a prisoner, there's even a prisoner compartment that prisoners can escape from by simply sliding through the escape hatch. Slide one. To remove the top of X, push down slightly on the handle and turn a quarter turn. Rebel transport. Rebel transport. So that was one minute and 15 <laughs> seconds. Okay. It was so funny. I don't think Jason believed that you that you'd heard him. Uh, I know. And then he said, "Place that." He said, "Some place that." Well. I know. Same place that because you kept you were talking about pushing things together. I was thinking like assembling the the Death Star, but then of course I'm in, I'm in the ships category. So. Yeah. So you're on one fifteen, right? Okay, Pete. Do you want ships? Do you want vehicles? Or do you want playset? <laughs> Well, I've never owned a playset, so uh, let's go with playsets. <laughs> I can't, how badly can I do? Go for it. Start. Pretend to lose your action figure and cargo. Stump is removable for added play. Whole base, <laughs> lift stump. To replace, <laughs> press tabs in the slots. Recreate the mysterious lightsaber battle Luke has with the imaginary Darth near the X. There you go, bar set thing. Perfect. 26 seconds. Ooh. I got that about 20 seconds ago. I got that within about 5 or 10 seconds. Yeah, Pete got yours within 3. So... <laughs> I, I wish I wish I'd had both of those, to be honest. They were <laughs> <All right. laughs> just a big ball. Yeah. Right, so you've got um, ship, vehicles, or play sets. Well, play sets scares the life out of me. Surely loads of them are just insert bit of cardboard into base you're done aren't you um so i'm gonna go for vehicles as we know right, so one. vehicles will be things that are generally on a planet the water, you won't expect to see them um flying around so, so, okay so like a vehicle like a vehicle. Uh, vehicle like a vehicle right okay let's open my first set of vehicle instructions Ooh, that's interesting and start attach the trunnion attach the base the legs and the, and the body. To assemble legs, ATSD. press leg socket into the hinge ball on the bottom of the cannon base until it snaps in place. Attach cannon body to base by snapping pivot arms into slots on the cannon base. Slide trunnions onto the pivot arms of the uh, cannon body. Insert the small end of the power hose into the power unit and a larger end in hose socket and centre underside of vehicle cannon maintenance energizer. That's not a vehicle. Your cannon is fully adjusted for high or low shots, or a click around to attack from any angle. The power hose can be stored inside the power unit when not in use. Is it the the um? Oh, I can only think of that the little mini rig that is a is the gun. But that's not a vehicle. You know, technically speaking, you're right. Okay, it's not a vehicle, but it is a tripod laser cannon. But I'm going to let you have one minute, seven seconds for that. But it's not. 
<laughs> right. In fact, actually, because if it's not got I've got wheels, two no seconds on it. It's not a vehicle unless it can move. It's well, it can't move. It spins around. It's a gun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Rich, what, what's it? What, what's its top speed, Rich? Um, zero to zero in an hour. I think right. they've got some funny cars up in the northeast, <laughs> haven't they? <laughs> if they right. drop, if you dropped off a cliff, it would go quite fast. <laughs> right, actually, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in reverse order now of the slowest time. So, Jason, okay, hey, we'll go back to you. I'm, I'm having vehicles, and if You're it doesn't vehicle. move, it doesn't count. Okay, right, well, this one does move. Right, Whoop. so, I've given you a clue there. Well, not you're... because you've thrown it somewhere. <laughs> he has your clue because the vehicle moves. <laughs> right, ready? And we have started. If your laser gun comes out, snap it into the underside plate of the vehicle. Snap bars to upper body shell, being sure that the hand grips are inside. If the T-bar is not in the position shown, simply give it a turn. Attach the upper body shell to the main body assembly by inserting a hook. As shown, and press upper body shell down firmly until it snaps into place on the main body assembly. Slide the front extension into place and it will snap into position. If the upper fin becomes separated from the front extension, simply push it back together as shown. Put your action figure onto the seat by sliding the legs under the spring-loaded T-bar. It will hold him in place by fitting over his thighs. His hands can grip the hand grips. For added play, the X vehicle will explode by pressing the knapsack button on the rear of the toy. Landing and taking off. Speed flaps are in the down position as long as your X vehicle is on the ground. No speeder. When it takes off, the landing pads automatically drop and the speed flaps are raised to expose the engines. If one of the speed biker flaps... Um, the, if, the biker scout thing. Yes, okay, so we're going to go... God, just how many years do you need that? <laughs> Flat. This, flat. this is un- this is unbelievable. This speeder bike. So it's called a speeder bike, and I, I, will, I will I will admit it does actually move. <laughs> right. That was one minute twenty eight, giving you a total time of two two minutes and forty three seconds. Right. And it's the person who's got the longest time wins. I think is that mm, that's what you said. Nope, yes. It's not quite like that. Right. Andy, you next then. So you're on a time of one minute seven. Play set or uh, ship. Well, I think you'd struggle to misidentify a playset, so I'm going to go for that one, Rich. Right, okay. I think that's a bad choice myself, but never mind. Okay, and my timer starts now. Fold backdrop as shown. Hot ice planet. Push tabs into slots and fold them back. Cantina. Yes, Cantina playset. So that was 11 seconds. That was a really good time. And the pressure is on Pete. And I can see Pete's sweating now because I thought he had this in the bag. Right, so that's one minute. I never have anything in the bag when the spoons are around. That's one minute, 18 seconds. Right, Pete. So you're currently on 26 seconds, right? So as long as you solve this within under an hour, you'll beat Jason. If you do it in under... 50 something seconds you'll beat spoons as well so okay your ship which i promise ships moves, promise it moves and i promise it goes into space right oh it's a spaceship now and oh, it could go it could go on the on the sea though pete just mm. just remember that 
Right, and your time starts okay. now. Apply labels using the package as a guide. Align labels carefully. Tie fire. Tie fire. That Tie was unbelievably impressive. Nine seconds. It was Darth Vader. In your faces. Fire. That is absolutely <laughs> that was, outstanding. That is impressive. That is impressive. Seconds. In your faces. I love the battery comment. Two AA penlight batteries. Not included. Never heard the term penlight before. Right, so I've got to say, Pete, that was simply staggeringly brilliant. You clearly are somebody who likes to do IKEA furniture. Jason, you're clearly somebody who pays for people to do IKEA furniture. And Andy, I think you're somebody who tinks it around a bit, breaks it and throws it away. So without any further ado, let's move on to Rebel Briefings. Jason destroys card backs. Staying active. The Rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. So, Richard, Prop Store strikes back. Don't tell me there's another Prop Store auction where we haven't got a catalogue. Well, I have not got a catalogue. Where's my catalogue? Well, everybody else got one. It's it, it's awesome. This this catalogue is just, it, it's a collectible in its own right. And it's a I don't believe it. it. I don't believe it exists. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Burn uh, it, Rick. Many, many, many thanks to uh, Darren Simpson and all the prop store, prop store guys for uh, dishing out the catalogues to, on uh, this side of the water, given that it, it's a USA auction. Thank you again. Yeah, so prop store have yet another stellar, out of this world, blow everything out of the water auction. March the 4th, 2020, in the Los Angeles premises. And you're right there, Jason, the catalogues have come once again. They are not just catalogues of the auctions. There was so much information in there, you know, describing lots of different keywords and terminology and discussing card backs and tooling and hard copies and various other things. Absolutely amazing catalogues. And, and huge thanks to Darren Simpson, Chris Jogulius and anybody else who's helped to make sure that these catalogues have made their way into collector's hands. So what I've asked you to do, guys, is I've asked you to flick through... Now, Pete pulled out something absolutely stellar in the last one. Um, it was a little, almost like a bubble gun from Kenner. Um, so I've asked you to run through it. I mean, obviously there's going to be stuff in there that everybody's going to be after and everybody's going to be looking at. But is there anything in there that you perhaps have looked at and thought, you know what, I, I would really like that, but perhaps may not be as stellar as some things like the, the Rocket Fire and Fetch. So, Jason, I'll come to you first. And so what have you spotted in there and what's going to intrigue you? I thought, I thought, I mean, after the rocket fair, obviously, and this is going to be one of those items, which is uh, everybody's going to be trying to guess how much it's going to go for. I, I was just impressed with the fact that there was, there's an instant Jawa mint on card collection there. So, I mean, there's all the common ones like Power Toys and Kenners, but there's there's a Pock in there, there's a Meccano, there's a Harbour, there's a Canadian Vinyl Cape Jawa, and then there's Engineering Pilot Sandcrawlers. One's got a blue door. So, I mean, I mean, I, I understand it's not somebody's entire Jawa collection and it's kind of come from different places. There's a load of Jawa stuff there that could get um, 
certain Jawa collectors we know from the Isle of Wight, very, very excited indeed. So, Pete, you are the kind of person who's going to ignore the rock firing fets, ignore the first shot sand call at NGM pilots, and you know, you're going to ignore the instant Jawa collection, including the POC and the McConnell 12 back and the Harbert and the Canadian vinyl cave Jawa, and you're going to jump straight in for the tatty pieces of string. So, what have you spotted that's going to be of uh, interest? You're right there, Richard. It is very, very, very dull, um, all these very expensive the Meccano things and you want to get into the stuff that's interesting I mean obviously there's there's some you know, lots of pre-production stuff which people get very excited about but um, if you know me you know I'm a bit of fan of uh, hand puppets you can't beat a good old fashioned hand puppet especially if you've got like young nieces and nephews and you want to entertain them with some hand puppetry and uh, you know that I have a hand puppet of the slug from Empire Strikes Back, which uh, I bought at a celebration and entertained everyone for hours and days. But there was, there was actually one I, d- I didn't even know this existed. It was a Canadian regal Chewbacca hand puppet. No one's ever told me this, exist- this existed. That's, that's, that's shocking. Why has anyone told me? Uh, not that I can afford it, but uh, I was quite impressed with that. That was pretty nice. Apparently they're very hard to get hold of. There's another thing that was very bizarre, which I didn't think I've ever seen in auction, was uh, one of our favourite things, Richard, as Vintage Rebellion people who have released cassettes in the in the, uh, in the past, a publicity cast interview cassette tape. It's just a C90. It's just a German C90 uh, with some interviews on. Um, and that's it, really. It's very basic. Probably go for thousands. But if it goes for a tenner, someone let me know, pick it up for me and send it to me. I'd love to listen to what's on it. If anyone knows any more about it, do you guys know any more about the what's on that tape? Apart from audio interviews recorded with principal cast, anyone know what's on it? No, but I spotted that as well. I thought, wow, what night? I'm sure you know the likes of Stephen Donnelly and people like that would be particularly interested in that. But yeah, brilliant. A couple of things I've picked out then, so I've had a flick through. Obviously, the 12-inch loose Tuscan radar, that little so-and-so has been evading me. I'm starting to lose interest now in the price of it's creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. I will get one one year, but I'm not in any hurry. Then, and then they're not particularly rare, the amount that I see now. But there is a box jabber, and I do like that. But uh, again, I'm probably not going to be interested in that. I did like the Tall Toys dealer catalogue. Uh, you don't see a lot of stuff like that um, from Tall Toys. And I thought that might be really interesting. I'd like to have a flick through that. I was impressed with that. Hang on a minute, Rich. Are they, are they the, um, just going back a minute, are they the, the Lily Leddy yeah. 12 inch that you're talking about? Also, I thought the 12 inch unproduced Lando costume, that's going to go for mega, mega bucks. But I really liked that. I, I thought that was really nice. It's a shame that the figure's not with it because it would, you know, look even nicer and it would go for, you know, a lot more money. But the, the one thing that I really liked. Okay, and I, I, I've just looked at these, I'm absolutely amazed with them, is the Deluxe Helmet Toolins. And I am a sucker for helmets, anything like the Biker Scout or the at Driver, um, other helmets that I've got interested in is uh, obviously Jez, the King of the Helmets, all that kind of stuff. But I'm just turning to a page here, okay, so it's page 148 of the catalogue, and it says um, these are Don Post Helmet Tooling Masters. So Don Post created these tool masters based on pulls made from the original helmets in the Lucasfilm archives. Any asymmetry found in the Lucasfilm originals, because they were made of vac form plastic sheet, was corrected to make these masters for the deluxe fiberglass helmet in 1998. Don Post pieces were highly valued for their accuracy, with some of the range used for promotional purposes by Lucasfilm at various locations worldwide. 
The Tula Masters are made of urethane casting resin and although hollow, have a very solid feel and a hard surface. The lines and edges were finely detailed and pronounced. These pieces were made by a contract vendor for Dompo Studios and the tooling and production information is engraved in the neck. The masters were then sent to the overseas factory to create the production tooling. And what we have there is we have number 371, the Thai Pilot Deluxe Helmet Tooling Master, which is stunning, absolutely brilliant. We then have the X-Wing Deluxe Helmet Tooling Master. It's, it's okay, I'm not really fussed on that, I certainly wouldn't drop $4,000 on it. We then have the Imperial Guard Tooling Master, absolutely brilliant, stunning. And the last one is number 374, the Scout Trooper Deluxe Helmet Tooler Master. So all of those have an estimate of between four to 6,000. I would quite happily have any one of them. Absolutely brilliant. But I've turned the page over, number 375, two Crate Dragon Bone Pieces. And I'm absolutely delighted to say that I actually have two Crate Dragon Bone Pieces. Now these have got an estimate of four to 600, so I'm guessing they're much bigger than the ones that I've got. But it's just nice for me to have something that's in the Pop Store auction catalogue. So, Andy, over to you then. So, what's tickled your fancy from Pop Store? Well, I think it's interesting that between the four of us, there hasn't really been any overlap, and I'm, I'm not going to start. So, I've got quite vanilla tastes. So, there were a few things I just like the look of. There's a good set of French 12-inch figures. They, they were nice. Good range of die cast, big fan of die cast, as you know. Uh, I think the pick of the bunch was the Canadian 12-back tie for about $300 was the estimate. And I, I don't know, that seems seems fair enough. It might be a little bit more. And then there were some sort of odder things that picked my fancy. I've not never seen Dutch bootlegs before. I don't know if you saw those. Um, the R2 was very odd, being that he was um, red colorings, more like R5-D4. There's a good little set of those. And another r2 related thing there was a life-size vintage three and three quarter figure r2 in a shipping crate i assume it's the same batch that where dave tree's got his stormtrooper all the cool stuff shop i assume it's the same kind of kind of thing as that but that was five thousand dollars so it's a a lot of money for uh, a vintage figure essentially last couple of things a caravan of courage T-shirt for $150 as the uh, the estimate. That was that was quite interesting. But the pick of the bunch for me, and I and I would absolutely love this. I do like my pre-production 2D stuff. It was a a silk screen print of the Tie Fighter sticker that goes on the cockpit. So there's got that the 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 raising seat in a Tie Fighter and a Darth Vader Tie Fighter. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. It's the same sticker in both of them. But it was said it's the Tie Fighter sticker. Um, just looked lovely. Though. I thought that that framed on the wall would look brilliant. And the the I think the estimate for that was five hundred dollars, which I'd be surprised if it hit only that. But that that's what I would go for if I if I was bidding and if anyone had sent me a free catalogue. Yeah, free catalogues. Yeah, where are they? The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Jason destroys car backs. He's, he's up to his old tricks again, trying to make everything rare by setting fire to cardboard. We know he did it before in, like, what, 1993. And he's up to it again. I can't believe him. Tell us all about it, Rich. Right. Well, OK, Jason, I've got some questions prepared, and you don't know what these questions are. OK, so I'm just going to start it off by saying you've talked about this off and on for a good number of years. OK, and you've finally gone ahead and done it. So something's got the snip, Jason. So first of all, can you describe what it is? Yeah, well, what it was, I was because I was involved in uh, this overhaul of the Kalman Matrix last year with Stephen Falkor, 
And it came in apparent to me in the way that we were verifying that matrix over again that there were some discrepancies in um, the Palatoy matrix, which I really needed to address. So I've done that. And basically, the entries on the matrix, I think for the, the Kellerman one, they're, they're either there or they're not. So they're either verified or they're not. But on the Palatoy one, the, the, there's a third state, which is basically you can be verified or there's no known example, or it's reported, but it's not verified. And the original matrix came from uh, John Forden's palatoid.org site, and it had the three states in it. And there were very, very many more question marks, which I man- managed to turn into big crosses to verify that they were there. Because one of the things I do is I'm, I'm trying to collect every different palatoid cardback variation there is. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm about... 30 or 40 away from having a full set of those but that's that's including ones which may or may not exist and i just thought you know what it's been since i started doing that it's been 15 years and i've i've got i've got things on there which are marked as as being verified because you know good friends in the community have said oh i know that exists i've heard I, you know i've seen it but the person who has it doesn't want to particularly show it and i just thought you know what it's been 15 years and we've never seen any other examples of some of these cards. So what, what I've done is basically the, the ones which are affected, it's mostly 30B, 41C and 65D variations for the first 20 figures. And that's most, almost all the things that were affected. So basically, um, it's this thing of the, the 30Bs. Basically, we've got Han, Ben, Chewie, Leia and Desquad Panda on the first 12. And then on the next 20 figures, you've got Luke X-Wing. And all the other ones, it's like there's people say, well, there, there, is a, there is a mint on card of it. And you're like, okay. But for the ones which we've seen, we see more card backs than we've seen mint on cards. And we see ones which have price stickers on it and stuff like that. So these ones which are kind of one-of-a-kind mint on cards, which nobody nobody was prepared to kind of show a picture of, it just makes me think that maybe they were some kind of sales example, sales sample or prototype, and and they're, they're not actually a thing that you you could go out and find because there was there was only one or one or two of them, and they never made it to market. So so basically, all those have gone. They're not off the matrix. They've just gone from being verified to being reported now. So they've gone back from an X to a question mark. Same for the 41C. Some of those were inherited of Palatoid.org. The one, the one that I know, um, um, really got to, uh, Nick on the Isle of Wight was, uh, the, the 65D Jawa. And he said, I've looked for one of those for many years and I've never seen one. I've never seen one either. So again, ones like that, they're back to question marks. And also some of the 41Cs. I mean, I, I, again, I haven't seen any of these in 15 years. So they, they've gone back to being question marks. The other one that I've put back is one that I actually verified back in the day, which was the 12A Death Squad Commander, which is only known to have appeared on 12B. And this was all based on a, an eBay auction where it was listed and there was a picture of the front of the card, the back of the card. The back was clearly a 12A and the front was clearly a Death Squad Commander. And lots of people at the time said, well, you know, maybe maybe he's got the cards mixed up. And I kind of looked at it and went, well, there's card damage, which you can kind of match up. But... You know, if we're being strict about things, if it if it's a card variation where it looks the same from the front, you need a you need a picture taken in a mirror to show the front of the back of the card at the same time. So I'm kind of going, you know what? For for something that important, we need a mirror image. So that one's gone back to just being 
reported again. And I think that's about it, really. Uh, in total, I demoted 26 cards. The number of variations on the matrix, I had it as, as the total was included uh, reported variations. So it used to be 611. And now that I've removed all of the reported variations and just have known vari- variations which have been verified, it's gone down to 576. Uh, one of the things I haven't taken off there, because uh, for me it has been verified and I have seen a video of it, is a 41B Dengar. I have seen the 41 back Dengar. I've seen video evidence of that. It's fine. I know that annoys a lot of people because... It means if you're doing a debut run of Palatoy cards that you can't get your 41 back Dengar. But I've seen a video of it. It exists. Um, and I think that's about it, really. I think it makes it a lot more clean. It's a, it's, it's a much more better reflection of what's out there than what we had. So it's all good. And if something's been demoted and you've got a picture of it, just send it in and I'll back it straight back up to being verified. Okay, so Jason, I've got a couple of questions for you before we wrap this up then. So some collectors that we all know very well may be adamant that some of these do exist, and I'm thinking of Boskia possibly from memory. Why is their word not good enough for you? It's just about being stricter on things. That that was my view, but given that we've done this work on the Kellerman matrix to make sure that we're re-verifying stuff properly, I thought, you know, I, I I've got to clean this stuff up. The fact that you know, people saying, oh, this does exist, but I don't even know. I mean, the, the cards which I've been told do exist, I don't even know who's got them. It's not like I've been told, oh, it's in so-and-so's collection. I don't even have that. So until until I see something more, I mean, the thing is, it doesn't have to be a published picture. A lot of black hole collectors, it's 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 their thing, and it's for them to appreciate. And I, I understand that point of view, and I can understand that if they publish the picture onto the internet – it loses its special kind of its specialness for them. It's the thing that they've got, and I'm saying you don't have to publish a picture to get it verified. All you have to do is in the pub show me show me show me a picture on your phone that shows it. I'll look at it, and then it's verified. So you know it's not like you have to give something up particularly to have it verified on the matrix. Okay, somebody has either a card back or a carded figure and it's one of the ones that you've either chopped off or it's not on the entry what's the best way to let you know that the error has been made well the the i mean i'm i'm contactable on uh, old school i'm on the forums as mr palatoy i'm on facebook as jason smith you know there's contact details on the website all you've got to do is you know send me a picture if 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 it's a unique front then I just need a picture of the front. If it's one where the the front and the back are needed together to kind of verify that it's a unique combination, then we need a we need a mirror image. That's where you basically get a mirror, you hold the card up to the mirror so you can see both the front and the back of the card at the same time when we take a picture of that. And then once I've seen that, it goes straight back on. And I mean it would you know, I mean I've I've seen there's there's been so little new variations that have been found. I mean the last major thing was obviously last year when uh, Dav found uh, the 12C and we got, you know, five or six new uh, variations. But in terms of existing variations and us finding a new one, the last one was a 41 back Sand People a couple of years ago where I got the first ever example. 
and there's now three of those known to exist. One of my other pilots of collecting friends has got one, and I've, I've got two at the moment, so I've got a spare, but it's got the name tag cut out, but if you're after a 41 back Sand People card back, I'm your man. I've got two. And finally, Jason, are you 100% certain that you've personally seen every single card back variation that's in your guide? Nothing's 100%. I mean, a lot of it, I'd say a lot of it was based on what I have done is I've gone through my card back collection where I've got all the examples and I've looked at what I've been looking at beyond that and I've re-examined all of those and gone, well, you know what? If, if I, if I still haven't got it, I've looked at those ones and I've, I've looked at the ones which were verified on the matrix and I've made all of those not verified now. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Everything that's on there, there is, there's, there's verification for now. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Staying active. Richard, tell us more. Well, I've been super maxed at work, like ridiculously busy the last two or three months. So I've neglected some of the places where I've popped in and out and visited from time to time. So I went on a tentative about a week ago and I thought... You know what, I wonder what's going on in Tantive. So I've had a browse around there, and it's an old post made by Poncho. That's one of the five bazillion Chris's that's around in Star Wars collecting community. And Chris is based in the UK. I can never remember where. It's, it's somewhere down south, but everywhere's down south for me. And it's an old post from 2017. And he's written there, I think I'm going to stop buying or looking to buy and try to enjoy what I've amassed over 20 years of collecting. I'd probably still look, you can't, not after 20 years, but not as much. And truth be told, the prices have got out of hand, and there are more collectors now, and more stuff has got out of my price range. I'm pleased with my buys this year, I may even dabble in the custom again. I'm quite enjoyed doing a modified Luke Hoth, and I've looked at some more oddball stuff. And then, a few people sort of chiming in and saying, you know, interesting question, uh, this is what I do, that's what I do. And then it was rebumped again, by our very own Chris Porteous, the 89th Chris, and he's written there, I just wanted to dust off this thread because I've had some extremely noticeable changes in my buying habits. I suppose it's a common occurrence for most collectors that they buy more over the first couple of years. Lately I get more enjoyment of the social aspect of it, meeting up with the Ontario Collectors Club and having Clint somewhat nearby is cool. And being involved here and more recently with the Vintage Rallying Podcast, helping them with their social media lately has been really fun. I'm still buying, but it's more expensive items, much less frequently, rather than the mid-priced items all the time. And then a few people have started asking questions about that. So guys, I'm going to put the same thing to you. Okay, so we'll start off with Andy, because I think I've been coming to you last a fair bit. Okay, so Andy, if you are not buying, can you still enjoy the hobby, and what is it you'd be doing? Well, I was thinking about this. First of all, I thought, well, actually, that sums me up. I don't I don't tend to buy a lot. The The pieces that I'm after don't come up that often so I feel that I aren't I'm not actively collecting but then actually I look back at some particularly on stars from UK latest acquisitions there's some times I'm, I'm certainly on there once a month so I, I do I do keep my toe in the water but I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm buying as much as some of the guys out there but I I rearrange my collection on the on the shelves I've got quite an active Instagram account and sort of go through, sort of enjoy the collection through the photos on there put them up put them up i've also got other toy hobbies that um sort of collect items of those just to sort of tide me over till the next 
decent Star Wars item comes in. And I must say, for the last couple of months, joining you guys on the podcast, that's you know that that keeps my my interest going. So I've been looking probably on on the Facebook groups, other people's collections more than I normally would, looking for latest acquisitions and stuff like that. But yeah, just just joining those Facebook groups or other other forums and seeing what other people have. I love seeing vintage Star Wars. You don't need to own it all. You can certainly enjoy the the hobby by seeing what other people are buying. For me, I'm at a point now in my collecting experience where there may be longer periods of time where I don't have anything. And I certainly never want to be in a position where I'm forced to buy just to get something for next month to discuss. So I think a real eye-opener for me, and I'm, I know people are sick of hearing us hopping on about it, but going to the annual, you know, that was a massive experience for me. And going to places like Echo and Father's From two or three times a year, that's by far my biggest enjoyment now. So if I wasn't doing anything, I know I've made some friends in this hobby that I'm going to have for life. And I am going to be speaking to them. And even if it's not about Star Wars, um, even if it's about other things, it doesn't have to be vintage toy collecting. I've got to know many people, especially those who are teacher friends. Um, we've had you know quite a few chats about the state of education now. Um, I keep out of politics and all that nonsense. I don't want to be diving down that track. But I would definitely say for me, the social aspect, and I've been saying this pretty much since the start of the podcast, but I'm, I'm much more involved in it now. I've also, now that I've got rid of one of the kids, I've also got a complete spare room now, which at some point I'm going to have to gut and completely redo as my uh, new Star Wars room. Okay, or should I say a second Star Wars room, because I'm not going to abandon the first one. Jason, so what about you, Jason? Any long periods of nothingness from you? And I don't just mean answering questions and quizzes. Oh, yeah. Very good, very good. Yeah, I mean, after I'd been collecting for about three, four years, I had I had a period, I think it was about 10 months, where I didn't buy anything. And in that 10 months, I had a period of three or four months where I didn't look at a Star Wars forums. I really, I mean, I was really doing very little. The one thing I say to people, if you're going through that kind of a kind of dip where you're You've lost interest. Don't do what a lot of people do and sell all your stuff because when your interest comes back up and you get interested, you've all sold your collection. So don't do it. Just you know, if you put it in the loft, put it put it aside. You know, even if even if you've lost interest for a year or two, just give it that long because quite often, more often than not, your interest will come back. And if you've sold your collection, you will regret it. So that's thing one. And beyond all the other stuff that you've said already, I mean, one of the things I find is if you need to have that kind of sense of I've gone out and got something. If you've got a laugh, you'll have boxes up there where you bought stuff. I mean, especially if you're if you're at the stage where you've been collecting for 10 or 20 years, go and open one of your storage boxes. It's like new stuff you've never seen before. You're, there'll be stuff in there that you've completely forgotten about. So. That can give you a nice little hit. You can, you know, do do research. I kind of like, you know, go and look at the SWCA if, it, if, it's, if it's working. I, I believe it's not at the moment, but hopefully we'll be back soon. You know, we've, we've talked about the fact that I went back to one of my guides and, you know, I've, I've redone the matrix on it. Um, on that particular guide, I, I, I do want to add in, you know, I've done all the vehicles, play sets and uh, spaceships for... Star Wars branded stuff on there. I, I do want to put Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, maybe try logo on there, which would add another 30, 40 pages of uh, another 34 links down the left hand side and give you a load more information. So there's, there's always plenty to do. You know, you don't you don't have to be buying stuff 
all the time to kind of feed your love for the hobby, is all, all I'll say. And Pete, finally coming to you, I don't think the world is going to run out of tat. So will there be periods where you're not buying? And if so, can you still enjoy the hobby just as much as you are now? Oh, Richard. Well, tat is good because you can fill up lots of space with tat. But I, I think we've covered this many times in the past in terms of you know, you've got to be focused on what you're, what you're buying. I think if you're a scattergun collector, you're going to get in trouble. And I think I think it leads to non-enjoyment when people say, oh, I'll just buy what I want. I think sometimes you, you can get lost in stuff because then you you feel that slightly obliged to buy stuff. I certainly see this in modern groups. People are obliged to buy stuff because it's part of their focus and, and you're, not, you're not really enjoying it. But um, I think you can actually I, – I, I mean, if the question is can you enjoy the hobby without buying, absolutely – I mean, for a start, Star Wars is everywhere. The amount of stuff I get given by people, oh, Pete will have this, it's Star Wars. Someone gave me a plaster the day, Star Wars plaster. They, oh, here I have a plaster. So it's like, okay, what am I going to do with that plaster? Well, I have a place for that plaster, which is in my scrapbook, which I like to keep. So everything that people give me that I can put in a scrapbook goes in a scrapbook. And a bit like what Jason just said, you can go back. And you can flick to that book and go, oh, my goodness, yeah, that's when I went to this place and got a free leaflet. That's when someone gave me this and someone gave me that. And, you know, I picked this up. It was a freebie, you know, like uh, there were some advertising cards that Dave Tree had it farthest from once, you know, uh, some modern shoes uh, with Ray in them and stuff. So all that stuff you can just pick up. You don't actually have to buy anything. You can actually build quite a nice collection with, you know, actually not purchasing if we're going down the not purchasing route but still collecting um and you can, you can build up quite a sizable stuff because like i said star wars is everywhere you can just keep adding to it yeah so you know that's, that's kind of where i am really you don't you know i mean as, as i said you, you can watch other people collect but i think you can actually build up a collection by just gathering gathering tat and stuff and leaflets and newspaper articles and and all that sort of free stuff that you know uh, stuff that comes in Cereal boxes, all that sort of nonsense. And I was listening to the guys from Rebel Force Radio recently, and they were talking about the hobby and the community as, as a whole. And I think it was Jason Swank who said um, something along the lines of, we all are Star Wars fans, and it doesn't matter whether you like vintage or whether you like episode 8 or whether you like episode 9, we've all got that common bond to talk about. And I thought that was a really, really good show because none of us like all of it. We all pick and choose the different bits that we like. So, you know, very few of us, I mean, I know some are, but very few of us are only vintage toy collectors and don't like Star Wars. Um, you know, every every one of us has some kind of connection to Star Wars. Just explore the part of the hobby that you like, and you can always dip your tool back into the water vintage collecting again. So, yep, some great stuff there. Nice one. Rich, I remember when we started this podcast many, many years ago, back in the early days. And I can remember, I, I think I might, I think you and me may be the only ones that kind of really into kind of modern, that really had a, a bit of a modern thing going on. And it was very much a kind of like, oh no, we're vintage collectors, you know. I'm not, not it's not a, not slating anyone. Just saying that I think times have changed quite a lot. I think a lot of people have delved into to to modern, especially that you know, and, and in just all aspects of collecting. So I think, you know, there was a little bit of a thing with vintage collectors not wanting any modern stuff. Now, because of the quality of stuff coming out, you know, some of these beautiful pieces. Um, I think people have delved into it more. But also I think there's more of an appreciation of modern stuff as well that it's you know there's some fantastic stuff out there especially with figures 
Um, it's a real beauties you know and, and all sorts of stuff really but uh, i think that's changed I'd, I'd love to have like a survey you know back in what 2014 to now to see if it's changed at all see who who is now picking up modern pieces and who is just still vintage i, I, I can't think of too many just vintage collectors actually i do have a confession to make here i, I know I've, i i always say that i'm uh, you know i i i'm a vintage only collector that puts some pounds that i do have a little bit of modern my oh. modern is Popcorn buckets. I, I I try and collect all the modern pop, popcorn buckets. So every time we go to the cinema, I have to have uh, double, triple helpings of uh, popcorn, depending on how many buckets there are. So, uh, are you sure it's not just an excuse to justify eating lots of popcorn? I, actually, at the last film, I think I think I had to leave one of the one of the. Well, I attempted the pop- popcorn on one of the buckets in the bin because it was just. No, no, I took it home. I took it home. Actually, I, yeah, I took, I took, a, took a baggie home. So there you go. Is there a but Facebook yes, I, group for for popcorn collecting? Oh, there should be, shouldn't there? Maybe I'll have to get on the case with that. I reckon it will be. I reckon it's somewhere. I reckon you could join it, Jason. You could be the new, the new kind of Mr. Pal. You'll be Mr. Popcorn. Rebel base one minute in closing. And with no surprise, as soon as we finish recording the podcast, we've got two new updates that I want to share. So the first one is from Dave Tree. So Dave Tree is the owner of All The Cool Stuff, who organises the absolutely fantastic Fathers From. So he has announced that Fathers From, the only show in the UK that is 100% vintage Star Wars toys and memorabilia, will be on Sunday the 3rd of May 2020. So that's in the usual spot at the Fordenbridge Town Hall. So early bird entry will be £5 a person from 11 to 12 and general entry will be £2 for an adult, £1 for under 13s and under 3s are free and that's from 12 till 4. So if you've never been before, what are you waiting for? There will be many of your vintage collectors and friends here along with a huge diverse range of vintage toys and collectibles at all ends of the price scale. Finish that loose one, grab yourself more for that focus, maybe even find that holy grail. So awesome Dave, looking forward to seeing you there. And I know that there'll be talks and other things going on at the show, so we're all looking forward to that. Now secondly, I mentioned Jez in the last show to say that he was kickstarting the Running Stormtrooper again. So we've just received a message from Jez. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know about a new mini Star Wars podcast that me and Stu Skinner have put together to hopefully motivate and inspire people to get into running. And maybe to help people who are trying to raise the budget themselves as a charity runner. It's a bit different and a new element of positivity now that the rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian is over. What happens when a lifelong Star Wars nut decides to combine his passion for chart owning with a galaxy far, far away? Join host Joe Skinner with his friend Jez Allenson to discuss the Jez's Running Stormtrooper project, which started in 2016 as a London Marathon attempt with the hope of raising £2,000 for Make-A-Wish. Since then, the running Stormtrooper has managed to run three London marathons, gained a Guinness World Record, and completed his challenge in 2018 with a 100km run in armour again for Make-A-Wish, but also for the children's charity Spread a Smile. A total of £36,500 was raised between 2016 and 2018. Now out of retirement, the aged running Stormtrooper has pledged to run 1,000 miles in armour in 2020, including a 100-mile run at Lucasfilm Pinewood Studios. Each monthly episode will cover a previous chapter of the fundraising running, an update of how the 2020 challenge is going, and a section on running or fundraising top tips. Join these two chaps for a light-hearted, advert-free podcast designed to encourage and inspire those who are considering running or charity running. That's absolutely awesome, Jez. I'm absolutely delighted to see you and Stu back out there. Put yourselves out on the market. For those who want to check that out, 
then head over to the Running Stormtrooper podcast, and that's available on Apple Podcasts, and I'm pretty sure it'll be available on Spotify at some point as well. So, nice one, Jez. Nice one, Stu. Glad to see you back out and running, mate. Right, well, I am delighted to invite our next guest on the show, all the way from the States, David Deans. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> so, what's the weather like over there, David? Because um, on our Facebook feeds, all we're seeing is snow, snow, and snow. No, so uh, I live on the East Coast in Virginia, and uh, we had quite a bit of a little windstorm blow through yesterday with uh, all this other weather incidences that are happening. But today, it's bright and sunny, and little chilly down in the 30s and 40s Fahrenheit for us Americans. <laughs> right, David, the reason why I've wanted you to come on the show is because I've been really fascinated in watching some of your posts over the last six months or so, and especially getting to meet you in Chicago, I thought, you know, I've got, I've got to get David on at some point to chat about some of the things that you've been doing in the hobby. But before we get into that, I want to go right back to your childhood then. Yeah, yeah. I would like you to tell us about your earliest Star Wars memories. I mean, were you one of those kids who seemed to get a figure every week, or were you, were you one of these special occasions kind of children? Just tell us about your, your earliest Star Wars memories. As a Navy brat, so we traveled a lot, we moved a lot, but uh, I was fortunate to have grown up and been able to see Star Wars as a child. 1977, I was 10 years old. You know, we saw Star Wars on the big screen at a drive-in theater outside. So you can imagine um, how much that would have banded the movie itself with the star background in the sky, and then you're watching these space battles on a uh, drive-in theater outside. So it really kind of took my breath away as a 10-year-old. But we didn't have a a lot of money, but my parents were always keen to you know, the things that I was interested in. So, you know, I, I would pick a figure probably every other week or so. We'd go down to a toy store called Child's World, which was uh, kind of like a smaller Toys R Us. I would get to pick out a figure and maybe a pack of cards or something. But uh, I, I had quite the little collection, and it, it kept growing and growing as I kept getting older and older and the new movies were coming out. I think you just knocked us for six there by saying you were 10 when Star Wars came out. I'll tell you something, you've aged well, so what's the secret of that? <laughs> clean living crown and coke every night no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um no i've uh you know i've always been kind of like a low-key guy just kind of take every day as it comes don't let stuff kind of worry me too much but yeah you know I've, I've got you know older kids and i've got grandkids and remarried about almost five years ago so you know we've got two preteens now and i guess it's just being active and keeping busy um, I do a lot of 
kayaking and uh, water sports. So I'm always going in the summer months, wintertime, not so much. But uh, yeah, just staying active and uh, keeping busy. I'm interested then if you were you actually at a naval base or were you were you redeployed? And and if so, how was your interaction with other children then? Because many of my memories involved playing in pretty much solitary. You know, I, yeah. I, I didn't have a lot of kids I could interact with as a kid. Right, right. So, you know, like I said, um, I was actually born in California and uh, we moved two or three times before I was even seven years old. Um, but by the time I was 10, uh, we were in the Midwest in Iowa. And, uh, you know, there were friends that, you know, were into Star Wars as well when I was little. So that helped out a lot with, you know, playtime outside and being in the Midwest, we had snow. So once Empire Strikes Back came around, we definitely had a host outside. Brilliant. But I do have a younger sister. She's three years younger than me. So we kind of grew up together with Star Wars and she's a huge fan and doesn't really collect too much. But I think she kind of lives vicariously through my collection. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I still pick her up items from time to time that I know she'll enjoy. But finding kids and, and friends to play with was never really a problem because um, um, either living on the Navy base or in base housing, there were kids everywhere. So we were always doing something outside. We didn't have the Internet back then, so we had to make our own memories. <laughs> <laughs> Could you just imagine if that had been an epic, I don't know, sea war scene in Star Wars? That would have been perfect for you guys. Submarines and uh, it was very sort of sci-fi technology. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. G.I. Joe's ended up showing up every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point, obviously, you're going to do what most of us do and find other interests as as you got older. You began to recollect at some point. So can can you tell us about that and when did that start? You know, Star Wars kind of winded down, of course, in the mid '80s, '85, '86, and kind of kind of disappeared from society in general because there really wasn't a lot of like Comic Cons and shows and collectibles we kind of just you know had the stores with their leftover products but i like i said had you know quite a childhood collection that i collected from 77 through you know early 80s um never really got into the power of the force collection but because by the time i was you know 17 it was wasn't so much star wars as it was you know cars and girls so uh those kind of took precedence (laughs) (laughs) you know my son was born in 1990 and, uh, you know, as a child, you know, toys come back into play. We were at a flea market and there was a guy there that had some Topps trading cards from it was Galaxy 1 or Galaxy 2 that came out in 95 or 96. And I was like, just shocked me that, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, flashbacks from being a child and collecting cards. So, I, you know, we got to talking and he kind of told me what was going on and then, Next thing you know, I'm in comic book shops picking up trading cards. And, of course, Power of the Force 2 showed up. So that kind of got me back into collecting again. Come, you know, I still had all my childhood collection. So I started kind of diving into, you know, the toy magazines. And the Internet was starting to show up. So we had news groups. You know, everybody started on the news groups on AOL. And uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. And I started collecting again in the mid-90s. And then I started to realize there's toy shows and collectible shows and started going to those and started rubbing elbows with people and meeting people. You know, I still kept in contact with a lot of those people that I met in the mid-90s um, and late-90s. Um, Andy Loney, Chris Corgialis, uh, Ross Barr, uh, mostly East Coast people. Yeah, so then I started doing, you know, realizing that there were, collections out there to buy because all of those people that are my age now had childhood collections that were just sitting around 
So I started buying and selling collections and doing shows and rubbing more elbows. And the next thing you know, it was just, it had gotten way out of control. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, come early 2000s, I, I, you know, gotten amassed quite a decent collection. I even had uh, a website on AOL. It was Trilogo Dave. And a lot of people knew me on the, yeah, was that you? I remember that website. That, I do. Yep, yep. That was me. <laughs> oh wow. So uh, yeah, so I had um, really dived into the trilogo aspect of collecting, and um, you know, once again, trade magazines, toy shop magazine, um, really started buying, you know, trilogo carded figures, and started that little webpage and. Uh, you know, I had a decent Trilogo carded collection back in, you know, the mid-90s to 2000. And once again, I just got to the point where I was like, you know what, I just need a break. And I ended up selling all of that. So, But I've always been a collector. You know, I've always, I think I've, when I look back on it, I really started collecting probably after Empire. Yeah, I mean, now I'm, you know, collecting again and, you know, have focuses and rubbing even higher end elbows <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's the biggest difference between now and back then for you because i mean obviously now there's a lot about complete and um documentation and history so when you right, when, right. round about that time what were you trying to do were you just looking to perhaps fill gaps or you know trade up yeah so back back when i was younger i was more of just a completionist okay i don't have this figure i need to get this figure etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't have this ship and, you know, I would always try and, you know, whatever excess money I had from working or from when I was younger and having an, an allowance, I would go down and I would buy figures. We had a, a little shop on the base that always had a nice little toy section. They had a layaway program so I could go and pick out a bunch of stuff and just hand it to the lady and pay her $5 a week until it was paid off. <laughs> So, um, but uh, now, yeah, it's it's gotten to the point now where, you know, precedence is key, especially if it's high-end figures and, and there's so much going on with, you know, reproduction and fakes and, you know, people trying to get one over on people. Um, something I, I kind of was aware of probably five, six years ago, probably a little longer than that now, but I told a lot of people, I said, you know, technology is going to catch up with us. People are going to be able to start reproducing these things and it's going to get harder and harder to tell the difference between an original and a fake. Um, and that's where we're at now. When you pick up a collection, your first thing is to verify that everything is original. I mean, it's, it's kind of sad that we have to do that on such a regular basis these days. Um, even with carded figures, carded figures, you know, technology has gotten to the point where we're reproducing a copy of a card back is is getting even harder and harder to find. So, uh, or harder and harder to tell the difference. So, I think one of the, one of the things back when we were younger, we didn't have to worry about that stuff because there wasn't that technology to really reproduce high quality reproduction card backs and bubbles and weapons and all this kind of stuff. So are you seeing that a lot of these sellers that appear on eBay and Facebook when they see, you know, all these rocket firing fets and vinyl cape jobbers and things from their childhood collection? Are you saying that some of those might be a little bit dubious? I'm not saying that they're dubious. <laughs> that was tongue in cheek, that. <laughs> but no, but that, that that was a bit tongue in cheek. That comment. <laughs> you know, just... No, no, you're fine. You're fine. No, um, no. But I just I just feel that you know when you start to see 
these higher-end items like a vinyl Cape Java or a double telescoping Luke or Ben or Darth Vader, these items that aren't out there as much as other figures. I mean, people say that Yak Face is rare. I don't consider Yak Face rare. People say that Blue Snaggletooth is rare. I don't consider that a rare figure either because, you know, they're for sale all the time. But when you look at, you know, a, a hollow tube Tuscan Raider or a red bar R5 or a no COO Princess Leia, you have all these other nuances now that we weren't aware of when we were younger. Now there's all these variations, PPP and Palatoy and Uze, and that goes on and on and on. You have all these variations now that, that people were like, I don't have that one. I would like to have that one. Okay, how many of them are out there? We don't know because they only show up, you know, every once in a while. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I think that when we really dive into the nuances of these harder to find figures, we definitely have to, you know, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's and make sure that it's a hundred percent legit because we're spending all this money on something we want it to be a hundred percent original. So you moved into cardback collecting, and actually that's a bit unfair. Cardback collecting and heavily documenting, I think, would be better. <laughs> Why did you go down that route? I mean, obviously we've got Jason in the UK who's been full on with his palatoy, and we had right, right. Joe O'Brien who was doing the same for Trilogo. But you really got a hold of that and, and did a lot of work on it. So, so what led you down that path? Honestly, I think that one, I've always enjoyed the artwork and that classic vintage look of cardbacks has always just caught my eye. There's really nothing like it except for the newer, the vintage collection figures that have been out for since uh, mid 2000s now. And those have caught my eye too. I've, I've actually have a pretty good run on the newer, the vintage collection that has come out since then. Once again, the cardbacks themselves have always just caught my eye. The artwork, the pictures, the backs depicting, you know, the figures and the ships and the play sets and special offers. And, you know, when you really get into it, trying to find certain cardbacks is almost as elusive as finding that carded figure. Whether it be a, a Luke Bespin on a 32 back that's, you know, doesn't have an offer or you know, a Jedi Leia with no offer, no stickers, you know, no Boba Fett offer stickers, no coin stickers. So the hunt for cardbacks in decent condition is almost as fun as, uh, you know, going out and trying to find the carded figure itself. But it's a little easier because the cardbacks are, are out there. And uh, yeah, just, just trying to complete those lines, you know, of, of the mean numb offers. The numb offers in the U.S. were not very prevalent. Um, they tended to be more palatoy, or I think it was Australia that had more of them. For card collecting, a lot of people would assume that they would be far cheaper than their carded counterparts. But I've got a sneaky suspicion that there's some very, very <laughs> expensive card backs. And there's one or two, I thought, well, I'm sure the, the carded figure is cheaper than that. Am I getting that wrong? There are some card backs that have really kind of taken a leap in price. Trilogos, of course, there's some Trilogos that have been very elusive even on card, like General Maydine Trilogo, for instance. I, I don't think that there's maybe a dozen or two, probably not even that many of the carded versions in the world. So just trying to find that card back in decent condition, I believe one just sold recently for around $800. Wow. 
or even a droid uh, Boba Fett card back. You know, finding a, a carded Boba Fett on a droid series, they're out there, but they're really starting to jump in price. You know, two, three, four grand, um, even for graded pieces, it's going a little more than that. So finding that card back is almost as elusive as, you know, finding... I actually think it's even a little more elusive just finding the card back than it is finding the carded figure. Mm -hmm. Do you see evidence of people putting bubbles back on these to make reseals? And could that potentially be... I'm not going to say damaging because that's not the right word because they are opened anyway, but how do you feel about that? To say if you've got a really rare card back and then somebody's put a bubble on it and, and not trying to pass it off as a fake or anything, but they're actually genuinely saying this is a reseal. Right. Well, everybody has their own say on something like this, but me personally, I've always felt that you know if the card back has already had a bubble removed from it, then there's really no point in, in reattaching a fake bubble to it with the figure that is supposed to be on that card. I would more like to see somebody collect the card back and then just put it in a, um, a UV acrylic case and put the figure inside with it. There's also other options to creating a quote-unquote carded figure with you know, a top-loading uh, Protec case for a card back and then you know, making some small incisions to put a little case, the figure, hard shell cases that carry the single figures. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the exact word for them at the moment. But there's a there's actually a, a tutorial online um, that can show how to do that to make it look like a nice carded figure without adding anything or gluing anything back to the card back. But, you know, when you see some of these other people out there that have found a way to make it look like it's a carded figure. I, I just I just think that's kind of ruining it. The nostalgia was somebody opened that card back and played with that figure. So it's it's not a true carded figure to me personally. Yeah. So it's at some point you've moved over to focus collecting. <laughs> myself, Brian Angel and Adam Marks and apologies of missing anybody else but the, the the four of us have helped each other a lot I think over the last certainly two to three years in documenting right, right. and you know pointing each other in different directions and I'll, I'll, right. I'll bring a question up a little bit later one that I often get asked but so we'll just start off with why why off I for you what, what was it about this droid that made you think <laughs> that's what I'm going to collect right so, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I just really enjoyed the artwork of that card back. And then we really didn't know, like, the whole canon of R5-D4 and that, you know, <laughs> some people call them Jedi Skippy, you know. So, <laughs> But, you know, if you really think about the story of Star Wars and, you know, that whole instance on the Sandcrawler where R2-D2 meets R5 and they have this little you know, beep, beep, boop, boop, back with each other. We don't know what's going on because we don't, we don't speak binary. <laughs> but um, lo and behold, R5 has sabotaged himself so that R2 can continue his mission. So to me personally, R5-D4 is kind of this unsung hero that nobody really knows about, that he, he gave his motivator to uh, save the galaxy and let R2 finish his mission. <laughs> Uh, I've always said Star Wars is about R5-D4, The Force, and uh, a couple of other extras. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> now, the question I'm going to ask is, I got, I got asked again this in Chicago, and uh, I think myself and Brian Angel were talking, and this 
this girl come over and she said, but surely folks collectors must be in competition and rivalry with each other. Um, <laughs> and we were trying to explain it's absolutely not like that at all. So can you give your viewpoint on focus collecting and how, how collectors work together? No, it is a competition. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ed Bryan's winning. No, I, <laughs> no honestly, um, you know, I think it's, there's a little bit of jealousy involved with it, I think, because you see somebody else that has something that you don't. And you're like, oh, man, I would love to add that to my collection. So now you're on the hunt. And with having fellow collectors like Brian Angel and you and Adam Mark, you know, we have this kind of common bond that, hey, I know somebody that's looking for that. I already have it, but I know somebody that would really enjoy having it. So there's a lot of camaraderie in focus collecting um, because you can help somebody else out and, you know, be happy in knowing that you know, they were able to add this certain piece or that certain piece, um, you know, something that they're just looking for. So once again, um, you know, I was fortunate. And most recently, like I mentioned earlier, in picking up a, a beautiful little Turkish R5 uh, Uze, it was only because another fellow collector knew that I was on the hunt for one. And he pointed me in the right direction and you no know, push came to shove and a few phone calls and a few uh, emails back and forth. And next thing I know, it's on my doorstep. So I've been after one of those for quite a while. So I think that when you have this type of networking out there, it really helps in not really completing that collection, but adding that one piece that you've just been really wanting to uh, covet or, or add to your collection that you feel that would you know, make your collection even more exciting or more diverse. There was a, a time when I first got into collecting R5 and really starting to dive into the focus. My good friend, your friend, our fellow collector of R5, Brian Angel, reached out to me and said, hey, do you have one of these? And it was a carded, I think it was a, um, it was either a 32-back or a 41-back R5. I can't remember which. But he said, I have an extra. Do you want it? I was like, yeah, sure. How much? He goes, give, just give me your address. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'll pay for it. Just how much do you want for it? He goes, we'll talk about it later. Give me your address. <laughs> he was actually a, a huge help in, in motivating me, no pun intended, to uh, continue on the R5 spiral downward into the rabbit hole. Um, he, he's been he's been a huge friend and a, and a huge guidance so I, I I really owe quite a bit to him for or keeping me focused on my focus. Yeah, likewise. I remember somebody telling me when I first started focus collecting that uh, I chose a good figure because everything that uh, is available will be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I certainly know that there's some pieces of my collection that would not be here right now if others hadn't released them and knew that they were going to be appreciated as much as they are i think that's probably fair right. way to say um and i think that's yeah. the beauty of folks collecting it's the same with brian the same with yourself the same with adam you know um it's not saying that none of us are entitled to anything at all you know we're not but it's just it just helps to to get conversations going and you know show appreciation for these items they're not going to be flipped and sold you know six months later right right absolutely absolutely 
So when I saw you, I didn't see you in Florida, but I must have been in Florida. I was in a bad way. Um, I, I was in a wheelchair in Florida. It was quite tricky to get around. Oh, but wow. I, I definitely wow. saw you in Chicago, and uh, yeah. we met up at the the swap meet, and you had some swap meet, yep. fantastic swag, absolutely brilliant. Um, and they are in my collection right now, along with some other items that you did that Adam Marks has picked up for me. What was your swag, and, and why did you really go to town on it? Once again, when I was in Orlando, um, I kind of, that was like my first celebration and kind of gave me a whole understanding of, you know, everything that's going on and everything that people do and, you know, the swag and the coins and the patches and all this, you know, beautiful custom stuff that people had done because of their love for Star Wars and wanted to share that with other people. Was sitting down, and you know, I've always had a, I've always had an affection for the Power of the Force coins, even though I really didn't dive into them, um, other than the card backs that I have. So I wanted to do a coin for R5, and then I was like, well, maybe I should do a card back, and I could put the coin on, and well, then you know, and it started to snowball. So I got with Rick Aslop from Left Coast Graphics, and I got in touch with Joseph Chambers from Hammerhead Customs. And we created a, a small sticker of R5, which uh, Rick Athlop does some great vintage-looking stickers, patches. Um, well, sorry, I don't think he's done any patches, um, but stickers mostly and, and magnets. So we created a small R5 sticker that would be two size for the card back. And then Joseph Chambers and I collaborated to create a card back for R5 in that Power of the Force fashion. The coin was actually something that I designed myself with another company, a uh, local company. Um, and the, the front of the coin, the picture is actually a photo of one of my figures, but you can't tell because it's on a coin. So with all that being said, I, was, I, I wanted to create a Celebration Chicago swag item that incorporated the coins, the stickers, the card backs, you know, the back of the card has, you know, that canon history of R5 and why he is, you know, the savior and all this kind of stuff. So it just really came together really, really well. I was super happy with how it turned out. And, you know, I had a huge amount of feedback in Chicago from people that just really enjoyed it. So I was really happy with the way it turned out. They take pride of place in my modern R5 collection for sure. They were great items. Well, I appreciate that. So anybody who follows you on Facebook or knows about you can tell very quickly you're very much a family guy. And what do your your family think of your passion, and especially the younger ones uh, who are coming through? They kind of just let me do my thing. <laughs> <laughs> the wife has um, been very... Uh, I'm guessing she's standing next to you. So you think there's something nice? She understand? No, she. <laughs> <laughs> no, she just she just walked in and out of the room. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, the wife has been um, supportive for the most part. She she knows that I enjoy it and that I get a lot of satisfaction out of you know my focus collections and and collecting in general. So it's nice that she is supportive in that fact. And she's not a huge fan of Star Wars. Uh, and that's fine. You know, we all have our own um, interests and, uh, you know, innuendos and stuff. The kids, I think they get more enjoyment about showing off my collection to their friends than they get. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, because it all, 
Oh yeah, so yeah. you know they'll have they'll have friends over, and <clears throat> my collection is in our entertainment room. Whenever they come over, they're like, "Oh wow," <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, that's my stepdad's collection. <laughs> Don't touch it." <laughs> um, but uh, you know, and then you know, when we have friends and family over and stuff, they see how much enjoyment I get out of collecting and the focus that I have. And oh, this is a new piece, which is nice. You know, to to have somebody come in and say, oh, I don't remember you having this one. So, uh, you know, it, and it gives me an opportunity to kind of keep them entertained a little bit and fill them in with what's going on and why I'm doing this and how much enjoyment I get out of it. But uh, they tolerate it for the most part. But the kids have been to a few of the local collecting shows and comic cons and they enjoy it. I think they secretly enjoy it, whether they want to openly tell me or not. But it's 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 fun. We 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 do enjoy it. So any any signs of your celebration this year with or without the family? So you know Anaheim's coming up, and uh, we're trying to figure out if that's going to be feasible or not, or if it's going to be feasible at all for even me to go personally because it's all the way on the other side of the country. Mm-hmm. Plus, it the timing is right when the kids are getting ready to go back to school. So as of now, I do have tickets already. Whether I'm able to be able to go is still kind of up in the air. But I, I'm definitely planning on going, so we'll see how things work out. Yeah, it, it does seem a little bit of an odd timing, but it, it's worked out just right for me. Another another few days later, and I definitely won't be able to go. So, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so, uh, David, you know, a lot of people will be really fascinated with this interview and especially wanting to read more callbacks and various other things. So where would people find you if they want to interact with you or they want to discuss callbacks or... Or even all five. Can you can find me on on a lot of the face groups. I'm, you know, of course I'm I'm co-admin on the Imperial Commission's modern page. Of course I'm a member of the Imperial Commission main page. I help run the, the Imperial Commission paper page, which is everything paper, cardbacks, posters, inserts, instruction manuals, trading cards, anything that involves paper. They can find me on the Imperial Commission paper page. Um, you'll find me on the UK cardback page. You'll find me. Um, I have my own cardback page. It's, I can. I'll send you the link, yeah, and sure. uh, you can. Um, and that basically is just kind of a way for me to keep track of all the cardbacks because I'm able to, you know, take photos of them and put them in albums and, you know, keep them organized by cardback. You know, whether it be a 20 back A or 20 back B or 31 or whatever, on and on and on. I'm I'm on so many pages that you'll see me posting at least a few times a week or at least commenting on on posts so i'm very easily accessible anybody ever has any questions they're more than welcome to just shoot me a message brilliant so i'd like to thank you for your time david it's been a great interview enjoy the rest of your day and thank you very much for coming on the vintage rebellion podcast uh well thank you so much as well i really appreciate it it means a lot to me that you were uh wanting to have me on so uh it was fun Invented in 1892 by Oxford University scientist Sir James Dewar, the vacuum flask was not manufactured for commercial use until 1904, when two German glassblowers formed Thermos GmbH. They actually held a contest to name the vacuum flask, and a resident of Munich submitted Thermos, which came from the Greek word therme, meaning hot. In 1907, Thermos GmbH sold the Thermos trademark rights to three independent companies the American Thermos Bottle Company of Brooklyn, New York, Thermos Limited of Tottenham, England, 
and Canadian Thermos Bottle Company Limited of Montreal, Canada. The three thermos companies operated independently of each other, yet developed the thermos vacuum flask into a widely sought-after product that was taken on many famous expeditions, including Lieutenant E. H. Shackleton's trip to the South Pole, Lieutenant Robert E. Peary's trip to the Arctic, and Colonel Roosevelt's expedition to Mombasa and into the heart of African Congo with Richard Harding Davis. It even became airborne when the Wright brothers took it up in their airplane and Count Zeppelin carried it up in his air balloon. Thermos was hailed around the world for its revolutionary design. In 1909, Thermos won the Grand Prize Award at the Alaska-Yukon Pacific Exposition and went on to be honoured at seven other world expositions. The Thermos vacuum flask made a technological breakthrough in 1911 when Thermos Limited of England produced the first machine-made glass filler. Today, Thermos continues to be the world leader in glass vacuum technology. In 1957, 50 years after the company started in the US, UK and Canada, the Thermos brand vacuum bottle was known almost universally for use with food and beverages, but it also proved useful in science, medicine and industry. It had been used in various instruments measuring electric power, rate of climb in airplanes, detection of oil deposits and weather recording. It had also been used to transport rare tropical fish and to preserve and transport blood plasma, serums, bones, tissues and insulin. In 1960, the US, UK and Canadian companies were purchased by the King Seeley Company to form the King Seeley Thermos Company. Thermos. Now, I actually picked up a Thermos lunchbox gig at Father's From, and that's kind of why I thought, well, let's, let's cover that, because we have something we've... I think you said, Richard, we've not, never really covered, have we? I can't remember us covering lunchboxes or Thermos flasks much. First off, I want to get your memories of Thermos flasks. Now, my... My memories of Thermos flasks were were not lunchboxes because I used to always live near my school, so I never had a lunchbox for lunch because I used to come home for lunch, so it never hit me. But we did have a Thermos flask which we took out on trips with us, um, and I never used it because I don't like hot drinks, so I didn't care. But um, I reckon Andy is someone whose family lived around picnics and Thermos flasks. Come on, Spruce, tell us your memories. Then you'd be wrong, actually. Um, I, I always dreamed of owning a, uh, a Star Wars thermos lunchbox and flask. You know, the, the cool kids in class when we were probably uh, in junior school, middle school, maybe had these. And, and I never did. Um, I was in fact, there's, there's, there's a sad tale of woe about me not having one of these because we just used to have Tupperware boxes to take our pat lunches into school. And one day I was in a bit of a rush and it does show you a little bit about what kind of family I come from, actually. Uh, so I grabbed what I thought was my Tupperware box full of sandwiches from the fridge, got to school, uh, opened the box at lunchtime and it was full of stinky cheese because it was the cheese, the cheese box. And it was all sort of Dilton and things like that, which as a kid, I didn't like at all and went hungry that day. So if I'd had my own star wars lunchbox that would i wouldn't have made that mistake and would have had a, a fine meal um, i was was fortunate enough a few years later to get a bluebird lunchbox uh with et on which i was i was very fond of uh, i don't know what happened to that in fact i'm kind of tempted to go and search on uh, ebay after this and, and buy myself one we did have the old thermos flask i do remember that um and again, it might have been, it must maybe mum was feeling sorry for me. I remember taking that to school one day with some soup in 
Um, but another tale of woe, it got must have got bashed on the way or something. Because when I went to pour my, my soup out into the little cup that came on the top, it's all full of broken glass because that was what kept it warm, wasn't it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure health and safety would allow you to do that today. Actually, have the the glass possible to to pour out? I don't know. Um, so yeah, that, I haven't really got very fond memories of uh, of lunch boxes. I'm sorry, Pete. That sounds shocking. That, that there was uh, there was glass involved in the middle. That was really really awful ones. It might have not been an official thermos one. It might have been some sort of cheap knockoff flask. But definitely, yeah, it got it got whacked maybe a football or something. Uh, you know, using the bags as goalposts at lunchtime. And then when I went to pour pour my, pour my soup out, it was yeah, just all sort of crunchy and uh, it wasn't wasn't good. Another another hungry day. That is shocking that that there's glass in there. I think they were. I don't. I mean, no, yeah, doing some research on these things. I don't think you know, that, that must have been some crappy one from Tesco or or Debenhams or something. That must that didn't be one, do the job. But the big, you know, for the I think for the little flasks that came in the kids' lunch boxes, they they weren't insulated, were they? They were just like a plastic plastic flask. But the 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 big one, they used to be tartan, didn't they? A lot of them were tartan. That was oh the, yes, that was, the, that was the style of your thermos flask. I think that whatever. Let me just look at let me just look at my thermos. See what it looks like. I've got it here in front of me. My Yoda one. It's in its blue box. You can hear it. Taking it out. Is there a coating inside? I haven't snapped the clip. It's still there. Um, it, there's definitely a lining inside. Another plastic lining. There's probably a couple of linings, but it's pretty solid, you know. Roughneck. I wonder if there's sort of glass between the two layers of, of plastic. That'd be sensible, wouldn't it? So if it did break, you wouldn't pour it out. But I don't know. What, what would they use for, for modern insulation? Be I've got no idea. Thick, thick plastic. But uh, anyway, I'll cover that in the start, so we don't need to worry about that. <laughs> I, I talk all about thermos. Why they, but isn't that beautiful? Andy, yes, tartan, tartan thermos flasks. The uh, That's what we used to remember on our picnics. Now, Richard, it was too cold for picnics in the north. So uh, what was your experience of uh, thermos flasks and, and the whole world of thermos? I don't believe you would have had, you know, uh, you know Battlestar Galactica thermos things do you think for one second that i had a packed lunchbox as a kid it would have been a carrier bag um <laughs> or some kind of little bag like that that would have had my slops chucked in i don't even remember having a bottle of water at school i just no i don't recall anything like that at all but i definitely 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 wouldn't have had a packed lunchbox 100 percent certain on that one terrible poor poor that Poor lad. But you must have had experience. I mean, you, you must have been taken to football at some, some stage and your, your granddad or dad or grandma would have had a, a tartan thermos flask, surely, for your hot soup. Hot soup? I don't drink tea. I don't tea? drink coffee. I've never had tasted either in my life that I remember. Uh, I have no hot drinks, so no. Not at all. <laughs> like me, freaky. Now, come on, Jason didn't live in the Highlands of Scotland, uh, you know, walking around trying to, you know, shoot goats to eat. So you must have had a thermos at some stage because you're Scottish and every Scottish person has a tartan thermos flask. Well, I don't know if it's because you guys have just talked about tartan thermos flasks so much. But the, the one the one thing I remember picnic wise was my uh, grandparents having a picnic hamper 
which I think had a thermos flask in it, and we always used to take that out and pick next one we were down. Pack lunch wise, I I have never had a pack lunch in my life. Never had one. Um, never had a pack lunch box. As a kid at primary school, I used to get school lunches, and then by the time I moved to high school, uh, uh, we lived very close to school, so I used to go back for lunch. So I've never owned. Uh, Never owned one of these uh, one of these lunch boxes. I do I do have one now. Somebody bought me a modern Django Fett lunch box, which I've been trying to sell at every Echo Live for about the last two or three years. I only want like five quid for it or something stupid. And um, yeah, inside it's got a got a little red cup, and it's got this. It's got you know like the little um, rectangular boxes of drink, and you has you have a tiny little straw. And you put it through the silver bit at the top and then squeeze and drink it. It's got a, a plastic yellow container that fits over the top of that, which I think is the most useless thing ever because it means you can't squeeze the drink to get the drink out of it anymore. Useless. Right. Let's go to that. Um, let's go to that. Let's get, get on with it. Let's get on with it. Yeah. So I, I don't, I, again, I don't want to try me too comprehensive. Be boring. So let's get to the link, the link of the shiny. Mr. Um, Orange Man, and uh, let's go. So, basically, basically to to sum it up, um, exactly how these things were organised in the entirety of this range. Um, as per usual, Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, where it dropped off, uh, Droids cartoon, and again, wickedly bloomin' Ewok. Uh, <laughs> which we have it. Um, now, there's there was a there's kind of a caveat to some of this is. And I try not to get too bogged down in this because it would just bore him to death. Is that we have a divide between Thermos, which seems to be Canada and the UK, and King Sealy Thermos, uh, which covered uh, United States. So they're effectively the same company. They're just you know, different offshoots, blah, 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 of the same thing. So um, if I don't mention King City Thermos, I do apologize. Um, I'm just going to call it Thermos if I can. So don't beat me up if I forget about it. Now, there's a couple that you can see in front of you, a couple of nice uh, metal boxes. Now, we'll come to metal boxes. They didn't last forever, metal lunch boxes. And there's a reason why, which hopefully you all have done your research, so you all know why metal boxes ended and what year they ended in. Even though Thermos obviously sounds like a flask, uh, we, it, I must admit that, that uh, when I heard the word Thermos, I thought, oh, I'll look at Thermos. It didn't occur to me that Thermos made lunch boxes. I don't know why that was. Maybe I'm just daft. But um, obviously, the lunchbox, and in every single lunchbox, they had a little flask. And that's pretty much it. I don't believe there was anything else involved inside of them. I think there's only one promotional kind of item that had something slightly different inside, but all of them just had that stamp. Now, there's no particular, not every single lunchbox had exactly the same thermos flask in it. So there's a little bit of variation. Um, and the, the, the areas I've looked at, I can't find a sort of correlation between, yes, that one had that particular thermos in it, 100%. Seems to be sort of colour variation. So some might have had a different coloured lid or a slightly different coloured base, but it was the same thermos inside of it. So you have to bear with me. In 1977, there were three lunchboxes released with Star Wars designs, two metal and one plastic. This first metal lunchbox had a red handle and was very minimalistic. A black starfield wrapped around the sides, top and bottom. The door panel featured artwork of the famous publicity shot of a TIE fighter firing at an X-Wing. On the opposite side was a drawn image of the These Aren't The Droids You're Looking For scene. 
It was packaged with a thermos, either blue with yellow or red cap, that featured another drawing of C-3PO and R2-D2, with a contraption behind them that looked like a moisture evaporator in space. The second metal version with red handlers is very similar to the first release, but images were added to the sides, top and bottom. The door and back remain the same, however, one end has artwork of R2-D2 and C-3PO floating in space with a red glow outline. The other end has an image, also with a red glow, of a towering Darth Vader, standing behind his kids, Leah and Luke, who was holding a laser pistol. The bottom sees a stormtrooper on a dewback, while the top displays a fleet of X-Wings attacking the Death Star and two TIE fighters. The thermos was blue with a yellow or red cap that featured C-3PO and R2-D2. Probably the first time I think, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen it seen before, we, we've got the uh, Luke and Ben uh, being approached by stormtroopers in their landscape. Has anyone seen that design anywhere on anything before at all? I think, interest? I think one of the it's um one of the jigsaws is that scene, isn't it? But this is this is actually a drawn scene rather than a photograph. It's... And I've not I've not seen that before. Yeah, we've gone from a dogfight to a rather unusual scenes about about stormtroopers having their minds mouthed. I wonder how either of those relate to anything, even to each other. I know they're both Star Wars scenes, but I wonder why why people chose that particular one. I don't tell you why, but if I was a kid then and that was the options and I got given that land speeder one, I'd have been very upset. That that TIE fighter and X Wing dogfight, that's brilliant, isn't it? I might get one of those for work now. It's a cork it is a corker. Absolute corker. So in Canada they had a slightly different version of a they had plastic lunchboxes. But it was um the thermos inside didn't have a picture on it. Now all, all these thermoses we see in America and the UK had a, an image on the thermos. In Canada, for some reason, we have to be Canadian, we have to be different, like we've seen with the shoes and things in the past. They had a, a, a kind of fold-over lid that, that uh, attached itself in the middle, which will come to later. And the thermos is just plain. It's just So uh, the blue one will have a blue one with a white top, red one red with a white top, orange with a white top. So they decided to just be a little bit finickety about it, really. But the uh, it was a side um, a side ceiling lunchbox they had in Canada for some of those early ones, which is rather interesting. You basically get a lunchbox, a nice blue lunchbox, sort of like an old style kind of a metal opening lunchbox uh, with clips in the middle that you've kind of fold in two, so you can have probably your your, your flask on one side and your sandwiches on the bottom. Uh, and you get a bunch of stickers you can decorate the sides with, so you don't have to go along with uh, what other people want. But I guess it's only really going to last one go, isn't it, really? Uh, I, once I, you put I them think, on. I think that's a bit of a, a swizz, that, because <laughs> I do, you know, I, do, I didn't have the Thermos Star Wars lunchboxes, as I said, but I'm sure I used to cover my um, Tupperware lunchbox in either football, Panini football stickers or other other stickers. If I didn't have the album, I might just buy a pack of stickers and stick them on. Looking at the photo on the front of that box, that's just a kid sticking panini stickers on a lunchbox, isn't it? But they probably pay a premium to have this special design your own lunch kit there. I mean, I'm sure they're just looking at what kids actually do and cashing in. I mean, marketing genius, you could say. It is. It is, but I mean, um, I mean, for, for what counts, this is hideously rare. Um, I can see why. Because I don't think that would have sold. It would just be, well, what's the point of that? But it, it came at a bigger price as well than the normal lunchbox. In fact, you've got design your own kit. But, I mean, I wonder. I don't think that lasted. Let's face it. That didn't last with people. But no one wants that. No one wants to, you, to design your own lunch kit. Because you're not really designing anything, are you? It sounded like a good idea. I bet those sticker sheets are very hard to get as well. But, um, yeah, the fact that you're just sticking stickers on the outside and 
you know. Well, you, you don't want to be doing that. You're trying to get your eat your lunch. Gets a bit tatty as well. I think I think with the the nice metal ones with the the printed image on them, they'd, they'd last a few washes, wouldn't they? Whilst if um, you get your lunchbox with stickers or any sort of printed paper image on it, stuck paper image, then that goes in your in your bowl of of fairy liquid. They're, it's going to get a bit tatty quite soon. Yeah, I'm not convinced by this one. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say that the, the label I've got on my lunchbox here in front of me, which is obviously like ancient, it's lasted very, very well. I've got to say, it must have been washed several times or maybe displayed, I don't know, but uh, it lasted. I mean, you do see the metal ones rusting quite a bit, which is a bit of a shame, but uh, you still, you know, the designs still stay on them, so I think they did pretty well there. The, the packaging of it is very nice, though. I mean, the blue lunchbox, maybe not the most popular colour in the world, um, and you've got um, Darth Vader looking very strange and Cesbian R2 far too multicoloured for my liking, you know, just a little bit too over the top. Um, I think it, it, it seems to be positioned towards, I think there's a young girl on the front as well, which is must be quite a rare one for a Star Wars item to actually have a female on the front of it. So uh, hmm, very strange. So there was no um, official, according to Gus Nickens' guide, Star Wars lunchbox item released in 1977 that came out in the UK, it was the United States, Canada uh, were, the, were the main beneficiaries of lunchboxes and our little thermos flasks. But when we get to, to Empire Strikes Back, they certainly did come out <coughs> on these lovely blue um, lunchboxes, metal. Again, a couple of choice scenes, which um, I think we can we can discuss. So on one side, we've got a Hoth trooper with his lovely gun. On the other side... We've got we've gone into Dagobah and we've got uh, Luke trying to stick a bullet into poor old Yoda for nicking his his lunch. So I guess there's a little bit of relevance there in lunch because that's is is his lunch scene, isn't it? Luke's Luke's being having his lunch eaten by some little goblin. But what's the other side to do with lunch? Hmm. That's what they keep in the big box that goes with the tripod laser cannon, giant thermos lunchbox. Is that the vehicle-shaped well, one, the one that has wheels on the bottom? <laughs> yeah, well, it obviously, obviously moves, doesn't it? Well, it would be, a, it would be like a sled in the snow, I guess, Rich. I would give you that, that the uh, the box is <laughs> a very crude see, vehicle. Here's a question. There is another lunch scene in Empire Strikes Back. Can you remember what it is? We could have, They could have put that in there. Is that the, the Darth Vader having his yeah. uh, Christmas meal? Yeah, exactly. We're going to put that on there. Like, yeah. Come and join me for a cup of tea with Boba Fett. That would be a great image, wouldn't it? Exactly. Or, or Wampa dragging off a Tauntaun. He's going to take him in for his lunch. <laughs> or, Luke, or Luke actually hanging upside down. He's, he's essentially lunch, isn't he, there? <laughs> or, or there is another one. There's a, When uh, Lando appears in Bespin, he goes, let's get something to drink or eat, or, or refreshments or something. And Chewie's like, ooh, food. They had that on there. All those lunch scenes, eating scenes, Empire Strikes Back. Or we could have had my favourite, the uh, the slug monster, trying to eat the Mayan Falcon. That, that was his lunch. You're making wow. me hungry, Pete. All these food-related things. Fantastic. You look on the Tauntaun side. There's uh, sort of look them. at the bottom. Look at the bottom. Look at that, that massive, great big Star Destroy thing. That's awesome. The big, you know, if you go to the bottom, the bottom of the image, so if the last oh, image look, but one. Yeah, look at that. Look at oh, there that. we go. And then the look top's got that. the atta- top's got an atta and the Ralph Macquarie snow speeder. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, they, it, it's a real mixture, isn't it, of um, kind of concept art and just get anything on there. I'm liking the Luke Hoff with uh, on the Tauntaun. That's good. I like the I like the Vader. It's a very sort of tiny kind of uh, I don't know small lightsaber. Not really not really threatening, is it? Lando hanging out with his stormtrooper friends. Bounty hunters having a you know looking like they're going to take on the stormtroopers. They're topping at against Macquarie snow speeders, so they also didn't mention the film. Then on the bottom, that's oh, that's a great image. It's a, a massive. What, what's that star destroyer called? A massive one. Super, yeah, super star destroyer. But I think you would, um, as, as a kid, you'd be happy with either of those, wouldn't you? They're, they're two, they're two good images. We'd relive in the film whilst eating your sandwiches. Presumably, these are. Um, do you say these American? ones pete peanut butter and jelly These sandwiches all, that's all they do isn't it just eat peanut butter jelly sandwiches yes that's all they do uh, all no, the time I'm, yeah i would be very happy with one of those filled with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that would be a good school lunch for me and it seemed like you know um the well when it when it came to the plastic lunchbox we had different designs again so now the one i have what i've got here that's a uk one uh, there is the same image you can see down here um, on the plastic lunchboxes, which so for the Empire Strikes Back, and it's got and it's a it's a wonderful publicity shot, but it's one of those publicity shots that looks like it could be in the film. So you've got Hoth scene, you've got Chewie, you've got um, <laughs> you've got Han not in Hoth gear, so he's just he's just wandering around, you know, back to get his money of Falcon and Nick off, which I don't think we like, do we see that in Empire Strikes Back at the start? I'm just trying to think, or is he always in his Hoth gear? I can't remember. There we go. There's my brain gone. You've got Leah in Hoth and you've got Luke in his Hoth gear and they're all pointing their blasters at you. I've seen this image sort of across many uh, plastic variants of this particular thing across the UK ones. And I think in the Canada one as well, I want to say, I think I've seen this image. I've never seen that photo before. It's great, isn't it? And, and first look at it, you'd, you'd say that that was uh, they, that's a photo montage. They've stitched those together. But it doesn't even look like Luke to me, that. Just like, like some kid with a pudding ball haircut. According to my lunchbox version, if it is tagged on at the end there, they've done it very well. It does look like they've just put this up for a publicity shot. They've stuck them in costumes and they've gone right. So I'm assuming we're going to see this image somewhere else. The one I've got, they're definitely together in that shot. It looks um, like Steve Bath is um, sloping <laughs> off to go to the pub as well. He's just like, oh, I'm off. He does have his blaster, or his, uh, his bowcaster, in his hands pointing at you. You probably can't see it on that image. Although they do all seem a bit small so on the small side. I know Han is crouching quite a bit, so maybe they had a bit of an adjustment. But, yeah, it's a real real fascinating image. I mean, on my blue lunchbox that was released in the UK, uh, it's a bit more square on that, than that red plastic one. The the logo is is grey with the Star Wars, and then it's uh, yellow on the background and the black the black text. So it's a little bit different to that, to that one. But, uh, yeah, and mine's got a red handle on the, on the blue thing. So very, very nice little image. Now... It seems, again, um, on the Thermos flasks, it seems that the Empire Strikes Back, was it pretty much, and I will be corrected, it's mostly just Yoda in a variety of colours in each lunchbox, especially in the UK. Um, it seems that they, they, they kind of went with that, but there's no, again, no particular uh, format to which one went in which box. They just, you know, released these Thermos flasks. Three colour variants of, of Yoda sitting underneath the Empire Strikes Back logo in his, in his Thermos flask. But... Um, yeah, very nice. Very nice. A thermos has a double-walled glass container, the inside of which is silver. The main purpose of this silver is to reflect back the heat radiations. 
the space between the two walls is highly evacuated to prevent the loss of heat due to convection currents. Glass, being a very poor conductor of heat, minimizes the loss of heat due to conduction through the walls of the neck. Most thermoses have a small mouth that reduces heat exchange. A well-fitted screw-in cap reduces the loss of heat radiation from the liquid. A rubber collar and a spring at the base serve as a shock absorber. A thermos, therefore, keeps cold contents cold and hot contents hot as it eliminates any heat transfer to or from the contents. On these lovely blue metal lunchboxes, we've got drawn images. Again, two interesting scenes. We, we've gone back to, because obviously we've got Yoda in his thermos flask, um, and which appears all the way throughout the, the Empire Strikes Back. So we've got Yoda, and we've got Luke this time not pointing a gun at Yoda. We've got him kind of like, you know, I think he's kind of pointing a, a sort of like a hand of the force at Yoda this time, and uh, R2-D2 behind him, but it's a beautifully created image. Uh, the colour the color scheme is wonderful, very blue to match the, the lunchbox, absolutely fantastic. And then we've got it inside of the cockpit on the Millennium Falcon, uh, with Lilia uh, basic talent in hand, what on earth are you doing? It's that scene where she's like, yeah, you're crazy doing all this sort of stuff. Um, again, but the, uh, I don't know if, we, if anyone wants to kind of notice what is so special about the interior of the Millennium Falcon that I've picked up on now. It's pink. It's very pink. It's very colourful, isn't it? It's it's the colours of the rainbow. It's, it's every single colour is in there. You've got pink, you've got green, blue, indigo, everything's in there. It's a real beautiful, kiddie kind of serious scene, which not much really going on. I mean, Han Solo just looks a bit kind of focused on flying along with Chewbacca. Leia's getting a bit miffed. And then you've got all this wonderful colour on a rather dull scene, really. Well, my, my comment would be that the, the artist is a a good artist, but not very good at doing likenesses, because Leia and Han, you could tell it's them from their clothes. I think if they were wearing something else, you wouldn't know that they were from Star Wars, would you? They're, uh, was it Alden Aaron Wright? He looks more like him than uh, Harrison Ford. That's, it was a bit of a, very harsh. A prescient image. And Luke on the other ones, not much better. In fact, he looks like he's had his eyes removed. It's, uh, it's quite spooky. <laughs> Surely, surely he kind of was like, oh yeah, well no, he's he's got his eyes shut. Okay, well it's yeah, I'm not impressed by them. I I wouldn't as you know, going back to being a kid, if I got one of those, no, that's going back. Although the do you like the image of Yoda? That's that's the same one that's on the hand puppet box, isn't it? That's the same same shot of Yoda there with his stick. But yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not impressed by. Uh, now if if you click on his image, then it will give you a bigger Im- image. But um, 3PO has a very promising, <laughs> prominent nose and lips in that image. So uh, someone's obviously watched the film once, drawn it from the film, or maybe traced it, and then given it to someone who doesn't know what they're doing, and has kind of, like, drawn over it. But, yeah, 3PO looks very human. Yes, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 I can see that, yeah, with a little, little chin. He's got a little chin, little little lower lips. It's, it looks rather... That's fine. His arm is all over the place. But, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll maybe give it that one. It's still interesting and coloured, though. Doesn't really say lunchbox action. I mean, considering we've had Hoth troopers with mobile cannons, you know, publicity shots, and uh, with for a drawing, we've gone for that. In Canada, we just had a plastic um, lunchbox, a blue, a blue one, 
um, with the, the art sticker on it. And that was it, really. So they obviously didn't really do a great deal with their fast drives back. In the UK, as I've said, we had um, we actually had a bit of a range on this one. In the UK, for fast back, we actually had a red Darth Vader lunchbox with the words Darth Vader on it. It's a drawn image from Hoth. Uh, it has stars on the bottom, Darth Vader in black. It actually looks very good with, with the red. And then on the thermos there, we've actually got Darth Vader doing this kind of like gangster rapper pose with the two stormtroopers behind him and going, yo. Um, we've already talked about the blue lunchbox, which I have, with the Emperor Strikes Back and Yoda, thermos. But there's two lunchboxes in the UK. Um, so not a great range, really. Um, it seems to be the, the, the US got the better end of it. They had uh, metal and plastic lunchboxes. Now, with Return of the Jedi, there was even less. So I guess these lunchboxes are still hanging around. Especially anything with Star Wars on it could be could be released still. And uh, Return of the Jedi, we, we seem to focus on um, drawn images again, which I I have to say I prefer. I think sometimes it can look a bit dated with the images on. Now, we had a couple of uh, metal lunchboxes in the States with some crack. You know, I think they got it right this time with the images. Um, I know what's the theme. So on their metal, their blue metal lunchboxes, we actually had uh, two wonderful images, and they were both um, done by an artist called Gene Lemery, who I believe is a famous comic book artist, but don't quote me on that. And it's worth looking at some of his other stuff. It's maybe my favourite lunchbox image. Anyone want to just describe what we're seeing? I think this is the best, the best action scene on a lunchbox. Prove me wrong. I do like this. We've got this. Um this semi-completed Death Star, the Death Star 2, with a, a star, well, several Star Destroyers heading towards it and a fleet of TIE Fighters following them along. And in the bow, we've got a, we've got a planet underneath, which you can only assume is is Endor, but uh, looks an odd colour, nice and orange. But we've got Darth Vader's head in the background. It's brilliant. I would have loved this one. Yeah, there's no way that's Endor, is it? That's, that's, that, they got the wrong planet, but hey, it glows and they did all the work on the shadowing and the reflection. So they, you know, if you're going to die on a hill, that's one to die on because they really went for it completely. But did it ever glow orange, Endor? Or was that, or am I just imagining something else? I'm sure it was green. Maybe when we the Death Star crashed and it was on fire. <laughs> Is that the radiation that's burning everyone up? Yeah. If you look, like the Death Star does look as though it's entering the atmosphere. Because the bottom of the desk yeah. was orange as well. Yeah. It is, but I just think they got it wrong. Uh, there we go. Right, other side. Come on, let's talk the other side. The other side is just... It's, oh, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. I love this. The other side of this. It says everything about Star Wars, in my but in Return of the Jedi. No, I, I disagree with you entirely. This, this is another terribly drawn uh, picture. Uh, no romance. Luke's in his pajamas, by the looks of it. And he's wearing Frodo's cape from Lord of the Rings. It's not, so harsh. That's not his cape. The the Klaatu, what's he, what's he doing? He's creeping up with him. He's going to get him. <laughs> he's going to pounce. Tickle him, maybe. No, it's it's poor. This is very bad. And then Klaatu. Looking, and I can't make the image. The two Gamorrean guards on the left. There's like a little goblin in the middle of them. I think he just got run out of characters to draw can you see that it's got a little pink face you're ignoring Squidhead <laughs> in the background looking yes. very squiddy you've got a kind of a weird looking greedo but I like it it's, there's a definite style to the artwork but come on look at it he's got the guns in the middle he's got his gun out he's like I'm going to take you on Jabba I'm not losing lightsabers now I've got my gun out Woo-hoo. that's action the Gaborian is doing a wonderful finger trick by the way 
He, he is, isn't he? I'm not quite sure why, but he is doing a finger trick. Rolling the coin across his knuckles. Yeah, yeah, that one. Don't I think I think it's um, Gamorrean superstition. He he knows he could fall to his death at the Rancor pit at any moment. So he's crossing his fingers, hoping that doesn't happen. And that's and that's just how they do it. I think that's what's going on there. No romance in you. Or the the artist is just quite poor. Uh, you know, you can't say it's poor because the, the style is excellent. You know, the, the 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 composition is good. You know who each of the each of the things are. I want to say, is this the first time we've seen three Gamorians in a, an image on anything? Is this the most popular Gamorian guard scene of all time? Now, apparently, apparently the the thermos in this one had a wicket graphic on it, so they, they've they've ignored the best thing about about Return of July, um, and they've gone with a blooming Ewok. You know, where was the? You know, you could have had anything on there. What was? What would have been better than an Ewok on a on a thermos? Yeah, you could have Gamorian guard on there. You could have had. Oh my word! You could have Boba Fett on there. Anything? No, gone for Wicket. I noticed they didn't put any Ewoks in the front of those things. There we go. Shocking. Canada, we had a plastic lunchbox with a blue plastic art sticker, and then in the United States, we had this lunchbox with a Wicket thermos. Um, so yeah, not a great range. Nothing in the UK. Very sad. Sad. You had to uh, go down the Wicket the Ewok route, uh, which had a little picture of Wicket hang gliding. Which, let's face it, no one wants that. And um, in the United States, we had a couple of other little bits of nonsense. We had a Wicket and Bagger lunch bag, which again, no one wants that. And uh, we had his uh, again a plastic lunchbox, and that was pretty much the range. There wasn't a great deal of stuff. Um, I do like some of these these images, um, I have to say. But uh, some of these lunchboxes, they do fetch a premium price. Now, the blue one I bought off young Rob, I think he did me a great deal and sold it to me for 30 quid with a thermos in it. Um, the ones I've found on eBay, some of them have gone for ridiculous amounts. Some of these metal ones, you know, you're talking hundreds, hundreds of bucks. Um, so you won't find them too easily, depending on the condition, obviously. You know, in beaten up, you might find them for 20, 30 dollars but uh, if you're looking for a real mint condition one you'll be lucky to find that uh, but yeah they they do i mean it's it's, it's you guys just have interest. if you actually have a thermos uh box or lunch box at all anyone anyone entertain that at all now i've come close to buying the um the red empire one with is it with the darth vader on um yeah yeah, a couple of times seen it at, at shows, but they seem fairly fairly common that one. And me being very tight, they've normally around <laughs> about thirty pounds, and I've got yeah. twenty five pound in my head, so so I've not I've not got one yet. <laughs> I've got a Django Fett one, yours for a fiver. You're not going to sell that, Jason, ever. You're going to have to keep it and build up a collection of Attack of the Clones uh, lunchboxes. Now, I actually do have some modern ones. Um, I keep all my celebration memorabilia in modern star wars metal lunch boxes uh, which is kind of weird but that's the kind of guy i am kind of yeah pick up for a fiver from one of those kind of like you know shops that sell all those books and stuff and um i like to uh <laughs> i like to stick my badges in them and stick them under my bed for posterity talking of metal lunch boxes metal lunch boxes in the back in the day ceased to be made does anyone know the reason why if we had metal lunch boxes back in my school, we'd have a lot of people with brain injuries. 
definitely remember people getting hit over the head with lunch boxes and definitely thermos flasks with thrown across the, the the dining hall to any unsuspecting kid who was eating custard and then got that on the bottom on the back of the head. It ended it ended with a Rambo lunchbox. Um and this poor Rambo lunchbox made in nineteen eighty five was the, it has the distinction of being the last metal bu- lunchbox produced for safety and economic concerns caused manufacturers to switch to plastic <laughs> because basically people were doing exactly that which they were smashing the crap out of each other using these metal lunchboxes because the Rambo one is is ultra cool it's got like a camouflage surround um, it's got a wonderful picture of Rambo on the middle of it and again Rambo was not a film for kids why they had a Rambo lunchbox, I do not know. But there we go. But yeah, that 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 ended the metal lunchbox. So um, until like modern times, where obviously no one cares about people smashing each other over the head. But there's a little factoid for you. It's maybe the only time, if you're having in front of you, only time that uh, there's there's a wonderful little catalogue, which I'm assuming was um, apparently just given to retailers only. It was a four-page folder catalogue. It has a bunch of Thermos products, not just Star Wars. Um, but it's, I think it may be the first time we've seen a Smurf, Garfield, and Return of the Jedi, or Star Wars, in an advert, in any kind of advertising, or anything, maybe. Um, I didn't think Smurfs were a big thing in the States, but there we go. I learned something every day. Well, that was the cartoon was American, wasn't it? That was French. French and Belgian, wasn't it? No, well, they weren't. The, um, the cartoon that we had here, I remember it used to be on early Sunday afternoons, um, Gargamel and everything. They all, that was America. They all had American accents. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't. Yeah. I didn't think it was a massive thing. I just didn't think it was a a huge thing. So maybe I was wrong. But uh, I used to love Smurfs. I love loads of Smurfs. But yeah, I thought was, that's a cracking. I would love to have that. That's a brilliant poster. Garfield, the Smurf, yeah. <laughs> and Return of the Jedi with the wonderful Luke and Clartu about to be about to be uh, you know eaten. Right. <laughs> There's nothing on the 84 one. Um, if you get a bit higher up, we, we've got a couple of um, bits of uh, store displays. I think it was fantastic. We've got a fantastic CTPO. I think this is just brilliant because uh, it's, it's, it's kind of been drawn. But they haven't just drawn everything. They've even drawn the logo as well. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of strange. Um, and it actually says, um, although Star Wars lunchboxes were a, ca- a cafeteria standard in the late 70s and early 80s, very little store display material can be found. And um, but this this promotional item have you got it in front of you? It's the CFBO one. Yeah, yeah, yes. it's brilliant. Yeah, it looks like it's been hand painted or hand created. I mean, the the text is off. I mean, it looks like it's been stuck on. It uh, looks like it has been painted by hand, um, and it's all very folded up. But the, the thermos logo looks like it's been painted on as well. That's it's it's absolutely amazing. And apparently, it's six feet tall, which I think is incredible. Imagine that standing over when you're a kid, a six foot tall. That's a tall, almost as tall as me. And it's a CTPO telling you to have lunch with him. Um, no, thank you. You big, scary CTPO. Yeah. Right. There's, um, there's also if you, on the second link of that. Um, again, we have a wonderful composition of different things. This is a Thermoch lunch display header, uh, which is fantastic. But we've got, this time we've got a combination of, we've got Darth and R2 having a chat. We've got Kermit the Frog. And we've got the Bee Gees. Again, this, this has got to be the only thing that features Scooby-Doo 
<laughs> Miss Piggy, Darth Vader, Kermit and the Bee Gees. And a, a random American football player, which there we go. What a wonderful, wonderful image. I don't that, think I want that. That's brilliant. No, that's good, isn't it? Snoopy. Uh, <laughs> Snoopy, yeah. Scooby Doo. What about the Scooby Doo? Still going. Yeah, no, it's going Ran- strong. Random American football in the top corner. Just about to throw a football. Probably famous. I thought, yeah, I assume he's someone special, isn't he? The only, only American football I know is the fridge. That's going back oh, a few fridge. years. Oh, it's <laughs> not huge. him, that's for sure. <laughs> but he's just Darth and R2 hanging out. It's like a little yeah. little tiny... It's almost like it's his hand puppet, R2's hand puppet, just sitting there. But yeah, not a lot of advertised material. If there is anything we've missed out there, you're thinking, oh, I've got a piece of show, you must see, then let us know, because... It wasn't a lot, and of course they're still going. I mean, they're still they're still churning this stuff out for some of the modern ranges. I mean, Thermos is is a you know, it's one of those brand names, isn't it? Where you know you just say Thermos for a flask because of the technology obviously used for it, but it's like Hoover and things like that. You know, you just, you just know exactly what you mean when you say say the brand name. It's just synonymous with that particular thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't been comprehensive on this list. I make those mistakes. I'm gonna have to edit them out. Um, but I think it's a, a, a nice little range. Um, I've, so I've got one piece. It's it's nice enough to sit on your shelf. It looks really cool. Um, I do recommend you trying to get hold of it. You do see them around, but obviously the conditions do vary. A nice little look at Thermos there, hopefully. And uh, next month we'll do another one. And now a poem by our Jedi Poet Laureate about the Thermos Flask. I found my tartan Thermos Flask, not used it for some time, but faded square still visible beneath a film of grime. A bit of rust around the base, the side a dent or two. The top that doubles for a cup has split, so that won't do. But all the same, it does its job for when one's on the go. Keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. Quite how, I do not know. At least we share a common bond. Our outer shells are battered. Somewhat pasty, worn with time, but none of that stuff matters. Inside of me, my hopes kept warm. Some of my dreams are cool. Contents kept fresh, regardless of the state of this old fool. When God calls me, takes off my lid to see what life I've had. I hope that then, and like my flask, I don't smell quite that bad. So I'm delighted to welcome back David for Rapid Fire. So David, ten quick questions, and here we go. What was your first figure purchase as a child? Probably Luke. Really? I don't get that very often. I often get other characters. <laughs> One of my first memories over here in the States, we had a toy store called Child World. And uh, that was our go-to place um, when when I was living in the Midwest in Iowa. But I remember that being one of the first figures I got. What's your favorite callback image? Got to be the purchase of the droids on the R5 card. It's just, you know, the colors and just the significance of that exact moment in the storyline. What's your favorite foreign license? Palatoy. Um, I've always loved their packaging. What's your favorite scene from any Star Wars movie? Probably when the Adats arrive on Hoth. That's just a very dramatic, ecliptic moment when they're like, oh no, now we really have to do something. <laughs> <laughs> That's mine too as well. <laughs> what was your favorite figure, vehicle, or playset as a child? Actually, I, I really loved the X-Wing when I was a child. I, I think I played with that and Luke more than anything until like the Empire stuff came out. I don't know, I kind of geared towards some of the mini-rigs, like the ISP-6, uh, MLC-3, stuff like that, because I thought they were unique and different. 
What was your favourite figure, vehicle or playset as an adult? R5-D4, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes a mockery of the next question, then. If you have a figure focus, what would it be? Uh, well, my, the main focus I have is, of course, R5-D4. Um, and then I have some sub-focuses with Cloud Car Pilot and Forlong. What would you see is the most boring figure in the entire run? FX-7. <laughs> <laughs> What's been your biggest Star Wars collecting regret? Selling my childhood collection, honestly. Um because I had that for so long and coveted it till I was probably in my 20s and then got into buying and selling collections and slowly but surely kind of pieced its way out into, you know, other collections and then, you know, coming back and then recollecting. So, yeah, if I could go back, I definitely would still have held on to all of my childhood collection. What figure, vehicle or playset should Kenna have made? I don't know, I think a Wampa Cave would have been fun because if there really wasn't anything to that except for the micro collection. They could have done something a little larger scheme or even, um, you know, the Hoth Rebel base. That, that would have been interesting. What's your Holy Grail item if you have one? Oh, wow. Well, it was a uh, 20 back uh, Red Bar R5 on card. But most recently, I finally was able to uh, get a hold of a beautiful Uze R5-D4. So as of right now, that's kind of like my... my go to whenever I'm looking at my collection it kind of has front and center. So what's been your favorite convention or event that you've attended? Well celebration, the first celebration I went to was Orlando in, was that 2015? And that really kind of gave me a whole other view on everything that had been happening over the last couple of years because I really hadn't attended any of the celebrations. But I think the most recent celebration in Chicago was my favorite because I really knew what I wanted to do and didn't want to do, and I kind of did some things um, on the side with, you know, some some collectible-type stuff. But I also had a chance to really sit down and and talk with other collectors and shake hands and meet faces to the people that, you know, we talk to um, on a weekly or bi-weekly or every once in a while visit. But we see all these people on Facebook all the time, but we never really get to see them in person. So I kind of made that my focus Chicago is to really, you know, have a chance to shake people's hands and sit down and talk to them. What's your favorite Star Wars costume on screen? There's so many. You know, you could gravitate towards so many different costumes. But honestly, I think the Lando Skiff disguise uh, was a was a fun little costume. And Leia Bausch. Leia Bausch was really nice. Just out of interest, what did you think of those appearing in Solo? Because I know a lot of people really slammed them, but I thought they were, they were great little nods. I loved Solo. Um, when the first started getting produced and they showed who the main actor for Solo was, I really was like, eh, I, I don't know if that's going to work. But after seeing it, and I think I've watched Solo at least a half a dozen times, and it's just, it's a really great story. And there's a lot of little nods in there and, you know, the outfits. And I think they did a really great job of kind of tying in how he played into the part of, you know, the whole Star Wars universe. When was the best time period to be a Star Wars fan? Oh, wow. I think it's now. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> Honestly, uh, probably the last couple of years, it's really just snowballed with, you know, the new movies. And, you know, you have a whole separate generation of people out there that are starting to collect and starting to realize, you know, it's been around for 40 years and it's not going away and you know now you have galaxy z disney world and they're planning all these other things so you know i think right now it's just there's so much going on and of course we have the mandalorian now 
and uh, Baby Yoda. So <laughs> the child is kind of taking precedence in The Mandalorian so much that it's just everywhere. And finally, if you had to take just one item with you to another planet, what would it be and why? Uh, my loose red bar R5, because without him, the Star Wars galaxy would have no story. <laughs> Right, many thanks for coming on the Vintage Rebellion, David. Your interview has been fascinating. And I've got to pass on a special message from Jason Smith, who's also saying hi, because uh, he was delighted to hear that you were coming on our show this, this episode. Oh, great, yeah. Yeah, okay, so we enjoyed the show tonight, guys. Before we wrap up there, we're going to go through some feedback, and I love getting feedback like this. So this one came from Pal Toy Junkie, John Aves, on Stars From UK, and it was in response to the Pal Toy discussion about Gary Smith's incredible run. And what he's put here is, I'm having a great listen, guys, and I'm always very grateful for all your efforts. Thank you very much, John. It's truly appreciated. As you can probably guess, a highlight for me was the report of my good friend Gavi Smith's Palatide landmark achievement on the first 10 Empire figures run from 38 to 45B. It's an incredible pal and well done, totally. And everywhere we've showed that image, we've had so many likes and comments on it. However, I don't mean to be rude, but it's just the passion for Palatide in me that forced me to point out a couple of errors in the report. Brilliant, okay? Bring it on, John. You're not being rude at all. We always want to be correcting ourselves. So... The 30A logo size is not the same as the 20 back. It's what we call the mid-size logo, so it's in between the 20 and the 12 back logo size. The 41 back display is about the same size logo as the 20 back, as the 30B display is about the same size as the 12 back. So, great, very well pointed out there, John. Cheers for that. There were eight figures, possibly nine, that debuted on the Palatoy 45A, not six of them. The Black Bespin Guard, the Atlas Commander, Forlorn, or 2 Cent Scope, TIE Fighter Pilot, Luke Hoth, Cloud Corp Pilot, and C-3PO Removable Limbs. I'll just like to say there that both those corrections are now on my Paltoy guide, so it's, it's been updated. Yep, absolutely. Now, regarding Gabby's error of displaying 238 IG-88s, that is a luxury that not even Gabby has. He only has one example, which is pretty amazing, because as far as he knows, it's the only 38 IG-88 in existence. It's the rarest Paltoy debut card. This implies that Gary's set of the first 10 or 30 is unique, as is probably his first 1030B set, and currently his first 1045A and 45B sets, due to the Leah Bespin and the 485A Han Hoth. Further, talking about rarity, there were also some real rarities in the 30B set, the 41 set, and indeed the 45A set, and as mentioned, the 45Bs. Amazing, so cheers for that, John. Really like to hear that and, and clarify some things that were said. Now, over on Facebook, we've had lots and lots and lots of um, posts. Uh, Justin Haney absolutely loved the image. So, well done, Peter, on that one. Uh, you really loved that. And, again, thanks, Justin. You were great. Jen, absolutely brilliant. Okay, great stuff. Jeff Tilly, looking forward to Pete's Andy Preston's Sticky Rapper interview. Okay, and that was great, Jeff. I really hope you enjoyed that. And Rob Thompson had basically posted a great display of lines made Empire Strike Back lollies in one great shot. But he's put on there, he forgot to save the rappers. <laughs> Ross Cargill loved this episode in Imperial T- Attack Base, one of my favourite playsets, and we've had a lot of love for that. A lot of people have said that. For some reason, Ken had dropped the ball a bit with the playsets in the Jedi range. They definitely did. I don't think anything in the Jedi range touches some of the stuff that we've got in Empire. Also, on a side note, I'm originally from just outside St Andrews. My dad used to get me the Jedi Weekly from the news agents there. 
Okay, great stuff. Scott Cato, just listened to the interview. Absolutely brilliant. Again, more thanks from Justin Haney for that interview. Uh, Nick Shia, thanks for your comments as well. Now, we are starting to get lots and lots and lots of comments on different social media. So thank you to everybody who, who sends us a message, okay? We do read them all. And it seems to be that Facebook are giving us notifications again, which is great. And many, many thanks to Mark Catley, who's been sending us uh, plenty of photos. So thank you very much for that. Right, well, hopefully you've really enjoyed this episode. So if anyone wants to leave us any feedback, that you can message us on social media by searching for The Vintage Rebellion, sending an email to swtvrpodcast.gmail.com, or by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. So, without any further ado and waffle, it's goodbye from Pete. Yeah, any, any glossy catalogs you want to forward to me or Mr. Spoons, just uh, you just find our addresses and send them to us. Thanks. Bye. It's goodbye from Jason. See you later, folks. It's goodbye from Andy. Bye-bye. And it's later, guys, from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Teddy! One's gone for a fiver. The case of the cup for a fiver. God, I'm going to have that on a search. (laughs) I'm going to search for rusty Empire Strikes Back lunchboxes. So anyone sees a rusty one out there, I think, oh, I'm going to upgrade mine and I want to sell it to a really nice person on a podcast, then I'm up for it. But, yeah, I, was, uh, I was hoping that um, I start to be inundated with uh, offers of free things after last month. The, the, the phone has not been ringing. What? <laughs> no, You'll not do even a few a more years now, Andy. Not even a free catalogue. God, dear. Not even a free catalogue. That's what, the question I've been asking, Andy, for about the last... Five years. Where's my free catalogs? You, you tell everyone that you only collect cheap rubbish. That's why I'm not sending you one. <laughs> you can get catalogs in August. Just walk in. <laughs> I might do that. Just, just imagine. <laughs> oh my goodness! Case catalog, the highlight of my year. Well, they, well, they, well, they was, well they used to come out three times a year, didn't they? Something like that. I think we had little. I think Littlewoods was what we used to get. Just waiting for the summer bikini issue. Oh my god! So you, you, oh, have, you, have you changed your uh, your eBay search now? Then, <laughs> K's catalogs. Where can K's catalogs? Actually, I wonder if they are actually online. How far there are? What nineteen eighty? Let's have a look at nineteen eighty. <laughs> Is this a site you're recommending? Oh my goodness! K's catalogue from 82, 70 quid. You were joking me. I bet it's I bet itself the page is stuck together. Yeah, yeah, because most of most of them most of them have suffered very sticky damage, really. So. <laughs>
I bet the first 200 pages are stuck together. This one, 92, £65. You'd made a killing. It's it more expensive than Star Wars. This. No, this is crazy. <laughs> no, I'm not going. To... Oh my goodness, they have as well. Have they got the whole issue? This is what you want: retro Gee. vintage Argos catalogs on DVD. Oh. Two, £2.89. £2.89. £2.89. Right, I was talking to my 15, 16 year old kids today about oh, DVD players and Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. And they said, "What are those?" No. Yeah. True story. So I said, put your hands up if you've ever purchased a DVD or Blu-ray. Not one. Not a single one. I said, put your hands up if you've got any in the house. And a couple of kids put their hands up and said, the dad has some. <laughs> true story. Well, well, Rich, here's here's another true story. One of my, my girls and my under-16s team, she made her mum and dad buy her a CD player for Christmas. I went, what? Because so basically, uh, mom and dad had given her, given her all their collection. They don't have a, you know, been in the loft. And uh, so she bought, I, thought, I can't believe it. I can't believe someone in this day and age. And of course, all the rest of the girls went, you what? Obviously, they know what DVDs and CDs are, but but because uh, her parents have tons of them lying around. But yeah, she actually, I, I didn't think you could even buy them anymore. Right then, guys, without waffling on much more of that, let's get on to the quiz. Right, and then people will have to stitch, stitch that back in. So got them the two wrong way around. Oh, I thought we were going to session quiz there. Yeah, yeah. Let's oh, redo it. I'm really good at quizzes as well. <laughs> so we have the same questions and we'll all I, get I them still in think, seconds. I still think the time's won before off. Right. Help me, I've forgotten, what, I've forgotten all the answers now. What was right. it? Millennium Falcon, the ship. It was a Millennium X-Men Falcon, wasn't fire. it? Fire. Every, every question. Every, yeah. Fire. Jason was just grabbing play sets for vehicles and stuff. Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Prop store strikes back. Jason destroys cardbacks. Well, let's just make man. it clear. I, I, I know cardbacks were uh, actually destroyed during the making of that title. Jason destroys cardbacks. See that one again, Pete. You, you broke up in the middle of one word there. See that one again. Jason destroys cardbacks. No, you've broken up again. Try again. At. Okay, everyone, everyone mute. You you want to get one of those TP link things, Pete? <laughs> I have. I've got one. It's sitting there. It's beautiful. It's all bleeping and flashing. Jason destroys cardbacks. Uh, shouldn't shouldn't that be I destroy cardbacks? Jason, shush. <laughs> okay. Staying active, Richard. What on earth's going on here? Who's staying active? Mate, somebody's bouncing around. Who's that? That's got to be Jason. It's one more up again. Sorry, I'm I'm still recording. <laughs> yeah, this um, just almost put on frozen, let it go, and I couldn't listen to it. I'm still recording. I, I understood yeah. exactly what you were about to do, but frozen, let it go. I I can't listen to that. Okay. Sorry, the wife's coming in with important information about frozen. So. Uh... You can can tell her, Jason, I think it is a fantastic song and we'd be happy to listen to it. I'm I'm prepared to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Right. Jason, you are filling up the outtakes. It's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Right, anyway, zip it. Okay, then. Let's start again, yeah? Let's start again. Let's start again. Jason, mute so we don't have to listen to your. Your bizarreness. Mute. Is he muted? Yeah. 
No. No, he's Carry not on. muted. No one's muted. I don't need to. Is Andy muted? No one's muted. Andy, mute. You're muted now. I'm muted. Where's back off? Works on that Preston. My my screen's not showing anyone muted. That's quite bad. Especially going on my no, Skype. I'm, I'm not muted because I'm on these headphones and it's doing a pretty good job of doing that. So. No, Jason, press the mute button, or we all come round there and give you a slap. It's not doing a pretty good job of muting. Exactly. Yeah, right your, your cold issues. <laughs> Jason, Jason, you're, you're coming more of a modern collector every day. Right, fantastic. Pete, Pete, good Pete, memories. Pete, 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 I've just had a memory. Go on. Right, I don't know if you should cut this one off, right? Okay. No. Oh, I don't Come know on, I just do it. it. Right, okay. Just do it. I must have been five maybe six and my sister who would have been two maybe three and she had a, a kind of plastic flask kind of thing um not a beaker but it had like a beaker kind of top and i remember she wanted us to go and get some orange juice or something so i actually urinated it because i couldn't be bothered to go and get the orange juice yeah. And I, oh, oh, oh. You and can't I include the, that. I put the top back on and yes, I give up it back. <laughs> I, do rem- I do vividly remember that now. Oh. Outtake number three. <laughs> sort of three outtakes oh, in a space hey, of what, an hour? I believe I said that. I'll tell you what, I'm never, never having a drink off you again, Rich. <laughs> yeah, I suddenly don't. don't hey, that that, don't that might have been early Carlsberg. So I'm going to go over to Jason first, okay? So Jason, what item from your collection hits that description? Can I just take a second here? The, the wife needs need something off me here. Hang on. Katie, <laughs> I'm trying to record here. Hi, Katie. Yeah, I'm trying to record the podcast, yeah? Can you okay. just let me get on? Yeah, it's cold downstairs. So okay, I've, I've got, I've, I'm trying to record, yeah? Put the heating on. Yeah. Jason, better put the heating on. Jason, you must very... Yeah, it's a bit too... Um, Sorry about that. Cool. Sorry about that. Some more coal on the fire, Jason. <laughs> Burn some coal box. Right, burn some coal. We'll be talking about that later on. Right, anyway, once again, Rich... Do you want to ask the question again, and then I'll. Oh uh, yeah. Um, right. So Jason, what one item from your collection matches that description? Then. <laughs> 